Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, and this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 089, Beauty and the Beast, Best Forged in Fire. How are you doing today, night? Are we going to pretend like it's night, or like <laughs> continuity, or what's no, our story? It's fine. We recorded during the day, so. Yeah, how are you doing today, Kyle? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling a lot better than I was yesterday. Uh, we got uh, a bunch of, as you like to call it, the the devil's dandruff uh, yesterday. Ooh. And uh, turns out I'm not in snowblower, snow shoveling shape like I thought I was. And then uh, a little PSA for everybody out there. Uh, when it's cold, uh, remember to drink water because I didn't really remember it. And apparently I didn't drink any water like all of yesterday when I... I walk or I snow shoveled my little phone app said I did seven miles um, with pushing and pulling the snow blower and the snow shovel and everything. And uh, as I was finishing one of our neighbor's driveways, my legs were starting to cramp up. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and uh, I end- came home, uh, drank a gallon of water and uh, continued to to cramp up and stuff while that water started working its way through so uh when it's cold you aren't sweating and you don't realize that uh you're losing moisture so uh make sure you remember to drink water even when it's cold and you're working hard yeah people forget that that sahara dryness up north will just suck the moisture right out of you yeah well there's a reason there's no moisture it's all frozen it's all falling to the ground (laughs) and i remember our first winter in pennsylvania um you know, I, as people probably have figured out by now, Southern born, Southern raised, Southern, I mean, I had no real experience. And there was some melt runoff that went across the driveway. And I remember thinking, oh, damn, man, that's going to turn to ice overnight. We're never going to get out of the driveway. This is going to be terrible. And I get up the next morning and there's no ice and it's bone dry. I had no concept that moisture would, uh, would evaporate. Mm-hmm. Like even in the winter down here, if it's wet on the ground, it's going to stay wet on the ground. It, it blew my mind away how quickly stuff evaporates up there. Yeah, in the winter, that's usually when a lot of us run a lot of humidifiers and stuff because it just is so dry that makes it makes it hard to uh, hard on your nasal passages and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a whole part of the world where. Nobody has snow blowers and snow shovels are used for sweeping up the barn. We don't have to run humidifiers during the the winter. Yeah, but I'll take it not having to do a hurricane or be in 100% humidity for five or six months at a time. Man, hurricanes are awesome. (laughs) 
perfect excuse to have a hurricane party. Hell, we even invented a drink for it, the hurricane. Man, you you get together with some friends, maybe get down to the basement, completely justifies your prepper uh, preparedness budget to your wife. You drink a little bourbon, you hang out, there's some rain, there's some wind. Yeah, you spend the next couple of weekends cleaning up some debris, but ah, it's not bad. <laughs> no, down on the coast, it's 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 rough, but up here, not bad at all. Yeah, it was a lot of fun taking the boys sledding and stuff. So they uh, they loved it. And when we got back from uh, school, the boys were helping shovel the new batch of snow that was on the on the driveway. And yeah, I'm like, all right, kind of shovel in lines and try to like take it to the side and. Um, yeah, they just like kept doing figure eights and circles <laughs> and then picking up big loads of snow and throwing it at their brother. And, uh, I'm like, all right, you can do whatever you want. As long as you stay in front of the snowblower, <laughs> like, don't go, but <laughs> like I moved from the, from the garage out to the, to the street. And I'm like, as long as you're not putting snow back on where I've already blowed, you can do whatever you want. Go, go wild. <laughs> about right well and you're getting to that uh you're starting to get to that fun age where you can uh build snow forts and toboggan runs and do actually yeah. enjoy the the one beneficial part of the devil's dandruff yeah the the boys are seven and a half now and they're mm-hmm. actually like pretty good help with doing some of that stuff so i i told aaron uh do the porch and the sidewalk and stuff like that and he did a did a pretty good job i didn't have to uh shovel that part Cool. Yeah, we got some some older neighbors, so I I help do their driveways and stuff like that. So always try to try to help out those uh, people as much as possible. Look at you reinforcing that midwestern good guy stereotype. Yeah, well, our 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 little road. There's only like uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nine of us that live on it. So uh, we all kind of know each other. Well, I hope you appreciate that uh, now that I've gotten to know you a little better, I've I've upgraded you from Yankee to Midwesterner. <laughs> <clears throat> nice. I'm here for you, brother. <laughs> How have you been doing? Uh, good. Uh, it actually did not break my heart that uh, you weren't ready for the podcast last night because I had lost track of time and um, I was still hand sanding Magna Cut uh, on some eight inch chef's knives. So my life sucks right now. Um, How's your shoulder doing? Um, it was it was pretty sore this morning. Um, okay. I uh, I may have overdone it a little bit, but structurally they they say I'm good. Okay. Uh, I have figured out where the repetitive uh, part of the repetitive stress injuries have come from. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> side note. Uh, I've had trouble. Uh, my arms or my hands been going numb lately. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of panics about a heart attack and it wasn't that couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. And I happen to have a really phenomenal physical therapist and I was in with her. She started poking around and finally realized that from 15 years of leaning over and pressing in as I'm hand sanding, mm-hmm. my upper pecs have developed enough that they're pinching the brachial nerve in my arm. Which was just completely unexpected. I did, you know, I was ready for brown lung or to cut a finger off, but not, uh, not nerve pinch. Yeah. 
not your muscles are so big that it's pinching your nerves. And that's part of what is kind of irritating is apparently it's my upper pec. So I still have kind of like an old man used to be an athlete, not so much. (laughs) Chest structure. Yeah. I I mean, I don't have man breast, but I, you know, um, if my pecs were going to get too big, big enough that it was going to be an issue, couldn't it be my lower pecs? Couldn't I have that? That that 20s ripped chest instead of the, the oh, you used to be an athlete chest. Yeah. yeah Big Hand Dave also said, <clears throat> like, with his disease, why, can't it, why did it just have to be my hands and feet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Dave. Yeah. Hey. Uh. <laughs> uh, man, now that I am putting an effort into cleaning things up, um, we may have to go offline for the... Uh, the series of jokes about hand size that just came to my mind and perception. <laughs> I'm proud of you, Dan. Oh man. It, it's taken some effort. Uh, now that you're starting to share some feedback, I had no idea we had so much feedback. I'm <laughs> glad that people email you and not me because well me, but uh, you know, uh, uh, some people have made some good points about keeping it clean, listening with kids in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta be honest. I never really expected that we would have listeners. Well, like, I never really expected we'd have people that listened with their kids in the car. Oh, uh, I did. I did expect people to like <clears throat> listen while they're like making dinner or stuff like that. So, uh, always tried to keep the keep or bleep the uh, explicitives explicitives out, so that. Uh, and I, I don't have a problem with the cursing and stuff. Just you never hear people say they don't listen to a podcast because they don't curse enough. Like yeah. you pretty much only hear people say that uh, yeah, well, I don't, you don't listen to them for the way they talk. So you don't hang out with my people. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to catch some hell over this uh, and I'm not saying I'm going straight and narrow. I haven't sold out. I just, uh, it, it, like I said, first of all, I never really expected we'd have listeners like this was, this was the two of us hanging out and an excuse to get some experts to come on and teach us like, and then if we could help some people, that was awesome. And then we helped a couple of guys and I figured kill some time while you're hand sanding. I really never expected to get to the point that, like you said, people would be listening to this in the car or really anything other than just killing some time and a couple of knife geeks like us getting some, some, really deep level education. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's been a little bit of a shift and I, I got to tell y'all, I'm not selling out. Like I, I'm making, I'm making an effort on the, uh, the obscenities truthfully, just because I've found out how much extra time that causes Kyle in post editing. Like I, I gotta be honest. The, the side effect of me being cleaner is, People can listen around their kids. And now that that point's been made, I'll, I'm going to be aware of it. But truthfully, it was just because I didn't realize how hard I was making Kyle's life accidentally. <laughs> and if I'm going to make Kyle's life difficult, I want to do it intentionally, not accidentally. Yeah. But and the innuendo, uh, I'm clearly not going to stop, but I feel like I need to raise my game a little bit. Like if if I'm if I'm saying suggestive stuff that people in the five to 12 year old bracket can get, then clearly that's, that's weak sauce. And I, I need to put a little more effort into it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, speaking of the new year, um, it was uh, interesting looking at some of our uh, our statistics and stuff. Uh, we had over uh, two thousand two hundred minutes uh, that we created in twenty twenty three. That's a uh, quite which, a bit of listening pleasure. So, which um, means we recorded what like six eight thousand minutes, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. And uh, so Spotify gives you some of their uh, things um, for like the the rap. And uh, just on Spotify, people listening over there, we had uh, 146 people that we were in their top 10 of things they listened to. 84 doodles. Are we going to monetize? <laughs> Maybe. Because I'm ready to sell out. Like, <laughs> don't pay attention to any of that stuff I just said. I will sell out right now. <laughs> and then 84 people, we were then their top five. And then 20 people, we were their top podcast. Wow. And, uh, we use uh, Blueberry for our other podcast uh, statistics, and uh, we're get right around uh, 400 uh, uh, or more people per episode, so listening. So uh, thank you guys for all the support, and I think it was like 21 different countries that we have listeners in, uh -huh. so that was pretty cool, too. I am not a, an intelligent, well-educated, high-power corporate executive, but I'm married to one. And she would say, this is probably stuff we should tell our uh, sponsors and not just our listeners. <laughs> yeah, our sponsors have been pretty happy with uh, the all your guys' support. Uh, when I visited Dan and Natasha uh, during Christmas break and got some more handle material up at Atlas, uh, they said that they've been getting a bunch of you guys calling and uh, talking to mention that they, they learned about you on or learned about them on the podcast so thank you guys for letting them know that uh you appreciate their sponsorship man i got such such mixed feelings about dan and natasha right now um i committed to doing a tournament uh late spring so i'm back on the mats and and weight is a thing and they are personally responsible for at le adding at least six pounds to me this this holiday season <laughs> that that ginormous box of premium grade Cracker Jack like material. I, I kept trying to hide it for myself and darn if I wouldn't find it at 10 o'clock at night, yeah. I'd wake up night munching. It, yeah. I had never heard of that uh, before. Uh, apparently it's a Chicago like tradition. It said on the box, they were called doodles and uh, they're like puffed uh, corn things. Uh, but they're covered in caramel and they also have nuts and all sorts of stuff that are covered in caramel and with it. And yeah, I've been eating on the batch we've had for quite a while too, trying not to eat too terribly much at a time. Shit. Mine made it. Mine lasted maybe 10 days. <laughs> it was funny. Dan uh, said, you would think I'd be almost immune to it working here for nine years <laughs> and getting, getting one of these big box. Like, so they, uh, the owner, uh, gets each one of them a big box. And then he had, he has like 10 or so boxes just for keeping in the office, uh, for people uh, for snacks and stuff. He's like, you would think I'd be like immune to it by now, but still eat it a ton. Yeah. I, that stuff is the devil. Yeah. There's really good caramel over the kind of puff corn and a little bit different than like popcorn, but yeah, uh, it's pretty good. I, I, I think I like it better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a old school Cracker Jacks kid, like 
back in the days of the lick and stick tattoos. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like it better. When I uh, went to my first Cubs game earlier last year, uh, I got some Cracker Jacks. And let me tell you, the prizes now are super lame. Really? <laughs> yeah, they're like little QR codes that you scan and then you can play a game on your phone. Oh, man. Yeah. At least that was the the couple of boxes that we had at the Cubs field. So, man, that that's disappointing because, uh, man, the rings weren't so great. The little button compasses, the tops, like I, I legitimately played with that. Yeah, I remember the, there being some like Green Army men. Yep, and uh, little little army figures and stuff. So, and the the lick and stick tattoos always had kind of a mixed. I always yeah. liked them, but I never could get them to come out really clear. Yeah. Well, what can you expect for something super, super cheap going in as a prize? But well, I mean, they got me on the X-ray specs. Um. Really, my heart was broken at that point. I I was vulnerable, and <laughs> and now I get crappy prizes in uh in crapper, cracker jacks. It, it 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 scarred me, man. I got I got scars. Yeah. Like my issue closet barely stays closed now. <laughs> All right. You want to, uh, want to talk about our sponsors? Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. I think evening Dan might be, uh, might have a better rhythm than, than day Dan. <laughs> it's all right. All right. You know what? I'm going to jump the line a little bit and go ahead and jump into to Atlas materials. Uh, partially because they sent me delicious, delicious fat. And I now have a six extra pounds to work off, but they also provide phenomenal options on not just my Carta, uh, especially if you want to bulk buy, which I've done recently because teaser new project coming out. But, you know, you can onesie twosies buys the Juma. See, I've been practicing mm-hmm. Juma uh, or you can bulk buy um, four by eight sheets of um micarta which side note uh for a very slight cutting fee they'll cut that down to a a more manageable and shippable size they are now doing a little more of the exotics too i think the what do you mean by exotics um they've always done some of the exotic wood but they're doing more like horn and uh the artificial stone and that kind of stuff and they've had true stone for a while I never really look at the the horn and stuff, but um, they've been doing a bunch of the the pin stock and stuff like that, um, different colors and things like that. So that's always been really good. Yeah, a uh, bone and and horn. It was have been banned from my shop back from the days when it was in my house. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the the true stone. I'm starting to. I'm not saying I'm going to art knife sell out. And sellout is the wrong term because as long as it is a good functioning knife, I got no problem with art knives, but I'm, 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 I might be starting to raise my pinky a little bit, trying to do some, some fancier stuff. So I've been, I've been playing with the, the true stone a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. The composite handle stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've always thought that stuff looks really cool. I've never um, actually used much of it yet. I have. I have just recently, so uh, I'll let you know how it finishes out. Cool. Yeah, I bought a bunch of the the dragon 
Juma when I was there. I got blue, green, orange, and black. Uh, so I one of my customers is big into liking that, and uh, he ordered a, a couple of knives and uh, having some on the shelf for him. I really like working with that stuff. It finishes amazing. Um, if you got the lighter blue, um, white pens and liner. I, I know we always talk about never do a light color liner, always have something dark underneath. And white pens are a pain because your bit's got to be sharp and be careful of blowout. But on that stuff, if, if you get the white to work, it really, really looks good. It really pops. Yeah. I don't usually have to worry about blowout too terribly much um, on mine because I do like a Coke bottle shape. Mm-hmm. So I, usually that taper takes takes away any of the blowout that would happen on my pen layout. Yeah. Uh, One of the benefits of doing a doing a shape like that. Yeah. And then uh, pen placement, I guess, works out, too, that uh, about where you want your your swell to come in is a good place for a pin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we've got chance knife supply and you can use discount code KP grip for 10% off handle materials at uh chance knife supply. Also, they have all sorts of knife making jigs and steel and powdered steel and everything you could need for being oh. a knife maker. Yeah. I mean, uh, they even sell, um, for, uh, kilns and matter of fact, it could, theoretically be a one-stop shop i think yeah Got a little bit of everything there and we also have phoenix abrasives and you can use discount code kp10 for 10 percent off all your orders there uh hats all the way to uh sheets of sandpaper they're going to be using a bunch of the the rhino wet sandpaper going forward um got uh 11 kitchen knives that are just about ready to get hand sanded. So uh, I'll be uh, using a bunch of that on the disc sander. I've really found that if I go up to at least 600 grit and get a really good finish off my disc sander, uh, putting a, I put a piece of uh, the same rubber I use on my uh, flat sanding sticks on the, my disc. The white uh, or the black? I've got both. I've got okay. the Nielsen disc system. So it has all the, it has magnetic plates that you can swap in and out. Oh, cool. Which is really nice. I've been, thanks Eduardo for ordering me some more plates. I think I've got six or seven plates now. Yeah. Getting a really clean, like 600 grit finish, uh, off my disc grinder and then starting to say hand sand at 400 works really well. So I do, uh, 600, then drop down to 400 and then back to 600 again. And that usually is where I, um, works really well for me for a satin yeah um especially if i'm going to hand sand getting up around 600 grit makes your life a whole lot easier hand sanding mm-hmm. uh, until you find that one 120 scr- grit scratch that you couldn't see mm-hmm. and then you have a tantrum and go back and clean it up and then it's not so bad <laughs> yeah i uh the disc sander's been <clears throat> a lifesaver for me for make cut my hand sanding down we need to get you using a disc sander dano you know we have talked about it and now that the boys are out of the house and my life is stabilized a little bit and i'm starting to make some progress on my backlog from all the shoulder stuff 
I, I mean, clearly I'm not coming during the winter because that's, that's just not natural and it's an unholy place. But <laughs> late spring, when you actually start to have decent temperatures, I, I seriously would very much like to, to come up and maybe we can get some, some local makers to come over and yeah, uh, I'd like to do some file work with you. Like the book is nice, but it doesn't replace having somebody leaning over your shoulder. Yeah. Um, love to do some file work and you know, generally check out your shop and, and see what the deal is with this, this disc sanding. Yeah. yeah I, I love it. It's helped me so much with my kitchen knives getting a really flat uh, grind. Yeah, we'll plug Ridge Runner, but then uh, we've got an update with them. So that puts us at set supply. That would be Spencer, Ed, and Todd. Uh, all in the industry, it is by makers, for makers. Uh, they've been doing some really cool handle set materials. Uh, they've done some some cool epoxy inlays. Uh, they have a knife vise that... <clears throat> I have used for quite a while and really like it. I like how flexible it is. It works on all three axes. Um, I think they have made some tweaks when I pointed out to them that at five foot, I am not a shaved Sasquatch like uh, Todd and some of the guys up there. And that uh, I need for my vice to be lower than like 48 inches off the ground. Uh, so they've made some tweaks. If I were building it, if I were expanding my shop, I might make a lower section to put that one in. Um, but I love that it moves on all three axes. Um, and I like that it's passed through. Yeah. Which has been an issue now that I'm doing thinner kitchen knives with the, the I think I'm using a Chuck Ward vice. Okay. And I wind up with half the knife sticking out and flopping around like a spring and it, it's not good for anyone. So back to... Uh, set supplies, a great place for handle materials. Uh, if you're looking at a new knife vice, check them out. And when you can find Cage Daily and Dogwood Custom Knives at Knife Center, and you can find Dan's knives at the Cook Station, Blade HQ, Ridge Runner Blades, and Asheville Crash Crafted Edge. And you can find my knives at Northside Cutlery also, and uh, knife-making tools at Phoenix Abrasives and Housemade.us. I just shipped uh, 15 carbide hammers down to Brian at Housemade, and uh, they should have those on the, the site soon. So uh, thank you guys all for supporting the knife-making tools and stuff side of Cage Daily Knives also. It's been been a pretty significant part of my business the last year. Yeah, you are rapidly going to become a, a knife tool maker that also makes a bunch of knives. Yeah. Well, it turns out a lot of people get frustrated with some of the same stuff that I get frustrated with. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to talk about your South Carolina guild? Um, I do. So we don't have a date coming up. Uh, I think it was last year I uh, I approached the guild and told them that they need a new president, that I'm really good at getting things started, but long-term organization is, is not my strong suit, and they have finally taken me seriously. So we've gotten some great new members coming in. We've got some people to help out with the meetings. I'll 
still do a meeting once a year at my shop for as long as they want me to. But uh, we're doing a little reorganizing. You will be hearing a lot more from us, especially if you're one of our members. Uh, I apologize between surgeries and families and the rest of it. Uh, I have not been able to put in the time that I needed to as the president, which is one of the reasons I shouldn't be the president. And the other is, you know, we don't want this to be about a couple of makers. We don't want it to be a uh, cult of personality. That's the word, the phrase I was looking for. Um, so I'm really looking forward to working with some other members uh, and letting it be really about the the guild and the learning. And with some fresh members, we're going to have some more people to do demos and that kind of thing. So we don't have a specific date, but we will go ahead and announce um, the two dates for this year shortly. Very cool. Yeah, along the, the same lines of that, the Midwest Knife Makers Guild, uh, a couple months back, I totally forgot to uh, mention this on the podcast, but they uh, swapped up a bunch of their leadership. <clears throat> Our president, Jeb Taylor, um, decided it was time for someone else to take the reins and inject some new uh, ideas and stuff. So uh, Chad Johnson, who used to be, I think he was the treasurer, uh, is now taking over being president. Our, the VP, Brian uh, Rognenholt, uh, is swapping with Adam Long. And uh, Alan Summers is going to continue being the secretary. We've got David Skadlock uh, coming over for being the treasurer. And uh, Luke Hoff is taking over the membership director position. So cool. Uh, swapping up quite a few of all the positions. So excited to see some of the, the things. And there's going to be a spring meeting April 20th. Uh, in Mankato, Minnesota, at the USA Knife Maker facility, uh, if you are available to go there. Mankato. That's just a fun word to say. Mankato. Yeah. Apparently, that is where all of the little giant power hammers were made. Really? Uh, FYI. When I was up there for the hammer in, uh, a couple guys were going to go past the facility where they used to make them. Cool. So. All right. Yeah, maybe um, I'm a little off there, but it was somewhere around Mankato. Close enough. Um, Blade Texas? Blade yeah. Texas is next. And that's going to be February 23rd and 24th in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, <clears throat> I was not able to go last year, but from what I understand, it is a really strong showing. I mean, that's that's kind of in the heart of uh, of blade uh, blade culture, so I can't see how it's not going to be a good show. Yep, and if you're a member or wanting to become a member of the uh, National Knife Makers Guild, uh, Texas and uh, Atlanta are your two shows that you can get uh, judged in your for your uh, becoming a member of those two. So I know a couple people that are going to try to get their probationary membership at. Uh, Texas and one of them that might be going down to get their uh, voting membership. So we'll be pretty cool. You're being all secretive. Can we, can we, can we mention their names? Are these just random people? I don't know if they're, they want their names to be mentioned yet. So, okay. I know Jess Hoffman got his probationary membership in Atlanta and he was thinking about going to Texas. He doesn't have a table there, but he was planning on, 
possibly getting his voting membership there, but I don't know if uh, time wise with stuff, if he's going to be able to make it down to Texas mm-hmm. anymore. All right. But he will be in Atlanta. Well, I mean, that's what, that's the big show. That's the Super Bowl. <laughs> Uh, and then another smaller <clears throat> show that I always love to go to is the Badger Knife Show. It's in Janesville, Wisconsin, March 22nd to the 23rd. Uh, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday show. Uh, I usually go on Saturday and stay the whole day. So uh, excited to see a whole bunch of people there. Yeah, it's always a good time to uh, meet and talk with a bunch of people. So I enjoy going to some of the regional shows. Um a little more relaxed atmosphere and it's easier to to actually talk to people mm-hmm. yeah atlanta gets a little overwhelming <laughs> to say the least yeah um and i am so shot out so quickly that uh trying to have a any sort of meaningful conversation i just i can't do yeah uh and then shout outs i've got uh jeremy Ballaball. he's uh 419 forging on instagram he, uh, he's doing some cool things over there, making some really cool knives. And, uh, he's been messaging me some videos and stuff of him playing with his new laser pecker. I believe is the name of his, the, the laser that he got, uh, hmm. seems to be a pretty popular little laser. Uh, it's got a two watt infrared laser, so it can do a couple of passes where it actually will engrave a little bit and the mark stays on there pretty well. So, um, uh, I've been God, I'm I'm really tired of using this electro etch over here on the side. So uh I may may bite the lower oh. cost and uh get one. So I'm headed back to Shot Show end of this month. And <clears throat> on my list is some of the laser engraving companies. Mm-hmm. I will uh I am gonna be stalking, hounding some of those companies. Um, I'll let you know what I find out and hopefully we can get a couple of people to come on and talk lasers. Cause yeah. I want one They're sponsors. <clears throat> yeah. Let's <laughs> be honest. What I'm really angling for is a discount on a, on a laser, but <laughs> yeah. it's not presumptuous to be right up front. I'm, you know, you gotta be a little coy, you know, you remember how it is. Show a little leg. Yeah. <clears throat> but, that is something I am absolutely interested in. Uh, I've got Thomas Nugent. Uh, he's knives by Nuge on Instagram. Uh, he was using my handle buddy. Did a nice little video talking about how much he liked using it for the little curve. And uh, I guess I haven't done a very good job explaining how the handle buddy works. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I told him, uh, check out this other Instagram video uh, to kind of do the Coke bottle shape uh to mark out the the taper and he goes that is so awesome <laughs> he's like so uh yeah was you, uh I don't, you might need to put some packaging in there that has a a link or a QR code to uh yeah i need to i need to just do a youtube video on it here soon so uh going to try to do a more more fully in-depth thing on a bunch of those products knife making products i do so it all takes time and uh yeah just other things have taken over different things uh also i wanted to thank uh jess hoffman and matt strong uh they sent me some some little goodies from uh up north uh matt's wife 
uh, made some caramels that were super good and just sent me some fudge that uh, came from a mm. place. So thank you guys for uh, uh, being supporters of knives and the podcast a lot. So no, you guys listen and uh, thanks for all that. Man, I guess I should start being nicer to people. <laughs> it always blows me away when somebody sends me something. So, uh, one of my, one of my good customers, I posted up, a a story about, uh, I got a, one of those Funko pop bobbleheads. I got the Din Djarin, uh, Mandalorian bobblehead one and posted, if anybody else wants to help contribute to the, to the collection, let me know. And, uh, one of my customers messaged me and he said, I've got a obscure star Wars character inbound. I'll give it to you when I pick up my knives next it was like, yeah, very cool. And then I'm like, how obscure is this character going to be? Cause Funko doesn't really make super, super obscure ones. I don't think, but yeah, you we'll might see. be about to get some really rare collectible stuff. <laughs> Baby. All right. Um, I'm going to throw a little shout out to, uh, to Mad Max knife scales, custom knife scales. Um, you know, he suffered a little bit of the same thing that a lot of us did. Uh, he grew faster than he was prepared for and really got back ordered. Um, I certainly waited for six months on some of my orders, but he's gotten things cleared out. He, uh, he seems to have things back under control. Uh, and he has changed up. I don't know if it's the ink or the epoxy or what he's doing, but the new scales are clearer. Um, I'm getting a lot less haze on the image. So I wanted to throw out there. First of all, well done. He He's taken a good product and made it great. Um, and, you know, acknowledge that if you'd had some trouble with orders getting delivered, Hey man, we've, we've all been a small business. Um, you need to be held accountable for it, but it's also worth a, a, a second chance or do what I did for a while when he was so back ordered and just buy his spec stuff. Um, I've been really pleased. Uh, no voids. It, um, it works really easily and it polishes great. I take it up to about 2000 grit. And the, the ghost lines from the layers get really, really faint at that point. Uh, also, a little secret, uh, keep it oiled. I use white mineral oil. And every time I change grits, I put a white mineral oil, dry it off. And then when it's all done, I'll put white mineral oil on it and tell my customers for the first month or so, uh, like on kitchen knives, every time you wash it, put a little white mineral oil on it. And that will keep the, the image from, from phasing, from graying out or getting hazy. Hmm. Uh, or for non-kitchen knives, I'll tell them, you know, every couple of days for two weeks and then every two weeks for like another month, put a little oil on that and that'll soak in. Um, just like all my cartas, you don't get 100% penetration on all the fibers. But if you keep putting... Uh, and I, I say white mineral oil because it's food safe and it's inexpensive. Um, it will eventually soak in and lay down any of the little paper fibers that didn't get penetration. And not only does it keep the, the handle nice and smooth and clean, but it, it prevents that kind of graying that you'll get sometimes. Cool. Um, sorry, I guess that was more than a shout out. 
<laughs> nice. I <coughs> saw you dancing. post up a little fish and fowl with a like hunter scene on it that looked pretty cool. Yeah, I am really excited. Um, he he will take some custom orders. Uh, it's a one sheet minimum, and I think that's basically three sets of scales. Um, and uh, he did a, a really cool silhouette of a, a quail hunter with a dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, got to kind of have the the image for those fish and fowl be kind of shallow because it's not uh, not a ton of real estate there on that handle. No, and that was kind of a happy accident. I really intended them for um, uh, the kit and the cub size knives and just happened to notice that the layout was just right. And that's the nice thing, too, about working with him on some custom stuff is we figured out that for my knives, I need my image to be about three quarters of an inch high and about three inches wide. And that that'll let me have the whole image on the knife and it fits and I don't wind up, you know, with broken images and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I've, I've had some handle material that looked great at two by six. And then by the time it was down to a knife handle, it didn't look good. Yeah. So he can, uh, on the custom orders, he can kind of tweak the size of the image a little bit so that it'll fit your style of handle. Yeah. But thank you. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you like that fish and fowl. I'm, I'm excited. I think I got to 12 or 18 sets of those. Okay. So you'll be seeing a lot more of it. Nice. Uh, Eric Mann messaged me and he said he really liked it too. So uh, you may be hearing from him. Cool. I uh, I have not heard from him in a while. I'd like to catch up. Yeah. And then uh, I got a shout out. One of the things that I've been using a lot over Christmas break was my Dogwood Custom Knives uh, bacon turner tweezers. So I uh, was cooking up a bunch of bacon. Uh, uh, one of my friends, it could have been David Burke. He sent me a thing that said, uh, "This res- or the recipe calls for leftover bacon. It might as well just say it. You need like unicorn horn or (laughs) there's no leftover bacon. There's not usually leftover bacon at our house either, but uh, yeah, definitely check those out and really been using the, that production chef's knife that you made for me uh, liking that. Thank you very much. So yeah, the, uh, I I am running the risk of becoming a tweezer dealer that occasionally makes knives. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, those, those work out really well. Uh, my son loves, he has his own little pair that when the toast pops, he, I keep telling him that he can like push the button up a little bit and it'll lift it higher, but he loves using them to grab the toast. So he's a man, he wants to use his tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's ingrained at a genetic level. You're not going to change that, man. Yeah. But I'm also trying to get him to not stick his tweezers so far down the end of the toaster. Hey. So. Should be disconnected, but you never know. I was about to say, better that than sticking in a light socket like I did when I was about his age. (laughs) Yeah. So, all Um, sorts of colors. Yep. Uh, And no coatings to flake off. All of them are are anodized, which Mm. uh, we switched to this year. Um, The coating we were using was completely food safe, but... I, I just didn't like the idea of eventually something's going to come off in the food. So we went to, to all anodized uh, titanium alloy this year. Nice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then Ridge Runner. We're going to tie Ridge Runner into 
what we were talking about earlier and now. Uh, there is a change of ownership at Ridge Runner. Um, <clears throat> our friend Taylor was managing it. Um, the owner also owned a gun store and a couple of other things, and he has sold off the gun store that Ridge Runners was attached to and a couple of other holdings. The guy that bought Ridge Runner is, he's a knife enthusiast. He worked with Taylor. Uh, Taylor's going to stay on for a while and just kind of help him get set up and give him some advice. Uh, and they're going to change their model a little bit. They're going to focus on custom makers and the, the up and coming small companies. Part of their deal is you, know, you can get a Spyderco at Walmart and we will never be competitive with Walmart on volume or price. So rather than trying to trade elbows on that, they're, they're going to be focusing on the smaller companies that are up and coming, uh, U.S. based, uh, custom makers. Uh, they want to try to uh, try to find that thing before it becomes a thing. Nice. Uh, so I would argue a better place to keep checking out because clearly there's going to be some turnover for the next month or two, but they're out there looking for the guy that you've never heard of that is making good knives. So that it may become a, a new site to, uh, to check every so often just to see what's what's going on. I sent Taylor some sanding sticks and uh, a set of the handle buddy uh, things. So he said he was excited to, to do some more stuff with that, with some of his knives. So he excited is excited to see what he's going to do with making some more stuff. And he's always been known for his ax grinds and stuff like that, but excited to see where he goes with some of his stuff with his own shop. Yeah. He used to do, uh, I assume he still does, but he did like $1,500 axe grinds for the guys that competed in uh, lumberjack competitions. Yeah. Uh, and he did say that he, he was a little heartbroken because he put so much into himself into build, excuse me, building up Ridge runner, but he's kind of excited that he's going to have some time to start making again. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I expect we're going to see some pretty cool stuff from him. Yeah. He was telling me about, uh, one of the things he's super interested in with all the war clubs and stuff. So those always look cool. And uh, hearing him talk about the history and stuff behind him, he's got a real passion for that stuff. He does. And uh, the war clubs and the ax handles are two things that he does phenomenally well. Uh, and to your point, uh, if you ever want a deep dive on war clubs and what their shapes are, where they came from, why they were, what they were made out of. Um, talking to him about war clubs is like talking to me about knives. At some point you will regret it and just want us to shut up. <laughs> yeah. You ready to talk with our guests? I absolutely am. All right, guys. Uh, tonight's guest, guests, co-guests, guesting, you know, um, y'all talked to, y'all heard me talk to us. You heard Kyle and I, we're partners. <laughs> um, we talked to Mark last night, um, five minutes ago last week for y'all. Um, and we started to talk about the goat and hammer. Um, and really to get into that, we, we need to bring in my, my sister of another mister, uh, quite possibly a leading competitor for world's most interesting woman, um, a pounder of metal, a runner of companies and a falconer. Um, how you doing tonight, Jessica? I'm doing 
I know it's day here, but it's going to be night for them. You just got to roll with it. We had a chance to get to, to, to know Mark. I uh, mm-hmm. hope you don't mind. A few questions. Yeah, let's do it. You know, see what it is to be Jessica. Me. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> and we can touch on a little bit of how you two are what you are. Uh, it's, it's, it's confusing <laughs> for some. Um, but uh, where did you grow up? I grew up right in Atlanta. Yeah, oh, born and raised. Um, you're an Atlanta girl. I'm an Atlanta girl. One of the last remaining. We're like unicorns. Yeah, there's the two. Well, not me anymore. I left. My brother still lives in town, but yeah. my brother was a Piedmont baby, too. Yep, Piedmont. Yep. Um, but I've kind of lived in a lot of the counties, the metro counties, mm-hmm. um, but I always go back to the city. City girl at heart. Yeah, although now that I'm 40 and I've been out here in the country, I'm kind of loving it. Some things change. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I stopped partying, the city stopped being quite as fun. (laughs) When uh, Beth and I lived in Vinings and once the kids came and we weren't going out and partying, Mm -hmm. there was really no reason to stay. Yeah, Wait, what am I here again? I leave the city for fun now, so. Uh, side note, I wouldn't have believed 40. Uh, you okay. must not have partied that hard. I, I partied pretty hard, mm. but I've got good genes, I guess. There's, uh, a, there's a big chunk of Southern Italian. Uh, yeah. th- that'll do You've it. You've got that young skin. <laughs> I, I, I was just counting on all the preservatives that I was intaking that they would they would preserve me. Uh, um, it looks like that. <laughs> You tell about some big Yeah. Uh, I think he's in a category. Well, <laughs> well him and um, Betty White. Pop. Pop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like in a category together. All right. So, what was the first knife you ever had? First knife I ever had? Yeah. Like as a kid? Or or um, an adult if you were. Well, no, so as a kid. Yeah. I had a little, uh, like a little Swiss Army pocket knife. I think it had, it had, two blades and it had a little tweezer and a little toothpick and it was like a keychain. and uh-huh. I still have it somewhere. Um, I've replaced the scales on that it because they that- fell off and I had to get a new toothpick for it, but I still have that little thing. It's red and it's like the size of my pinky. <laughs> your index finger back then, but your pinky now. Yeah. And I cut myself pretty badly with it. Uh, once I, let it close oh. on my finger, um, and it went down to the bone. Yeah, that's all kinds of physics working together, shearing. I'm not 100% sure I was supposed to have that knife, and I'm not 100% sure where I got it, but I do know my mother didn't know about it. And oh, an I- illicit knife. That makes it even better. <laughs> I think I got it from my boy cousins because they could have cool stuff like that. Um, I think I... Down with the patriarchy. Yeah, for real. But yeah, that was my first time. Very cool. Uh, So that puts you in the top 20% of our guests who still have their first knife. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty impressive. I feel bad. I feel like I need to go and find it. We'll finish the podcast first, and then I've got to go and look for it to make sure that I'm not lying to you. (laughs) The only reason I still have mine is I lost it for 20 years and then found it cleaning out my parents' house. Pretty sure mine's in my jewelry box. That would be the appropriate place. 
Um, what is the first thing you made? Like other than like messes or broken hearts or <laughs> <laughs> like the the physical thing. Oh man, that's tough because that, I mean. When I was in elementary school, we had art classes, so I made, like, you know, stuff. Do you mean, like, the first thing I was proud of? Or the first thing that it was entirely yours? Um, okay. The first thing that I can remember that I made that I was super proud of was um, I had some uh, plasticine, you know, like modeling clay, mm-hmm. gray modeling clay, and I made a horse, like a little a horse sculpture. And I think I might have been 12 or something. And Way I, to reinforce the stereotype. What? 12-year-old <laughs> girls and horsies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're majestic, so whatever. Um, anyway, I made a horse, and I thought it was the best sculpture that of a horse that anybody had ever done. I was super proud of myself, and I parked that thing up on my dresser in my bedroom, and um, it eventually melted because it was just modeling clay. But uh, that that was, I think, when I, fir- I first realized that I loved to work with my hands. My mother is an artist. She does uh, drawing and painting. She does incredible oh. portraits. My sister, I'm noticing a theme here. <laughs> my sister, memory, was always drawing and getting all of this praise for being such an incredible artist. And I never really got that into it. Everybody just assumed that I wasn't creative. And it turns out that I am. I just need to be able to touch it with my hands. You need to be able to squish it. Yeah. Squish. I was going to say squish it. And then I think, well, no, because I like to do some things that don't involve squishing stuff. But mostly, yes, <laughs> plastic mediums are my jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at varying temperatures. At, yeah, at varying temperatures. Yeah. All right. How did you meet your dog, and why is he better than a partner? Lou. Yeah. Oh man. Um. So, do you want the long story about Baloo? Well, I mean, we just did three hours with Mark, so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, well, I'll tell you how I met Baloo, and then I'll tell you why it's like magical. Mm -hmm. Um. So Baloo. I was in my pottery studio one day doing something, I don't know what, and this guy, Sturgis, who had been working in Mark's shop, our shop at our that shop point, um, walked into my studio with this fluff thing, and he holds it out to me, and he says, look what I found. And I went and I grabbed it, and I snuggled him into me and I said, are you keeping it? And I think my face was like, don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so small, big. I mean, he was pretty big, actually, for his age of puppy. I think he was 10 pounds and he was only four weeks old. But he's a lot small. He was a lot smaller than he is now. And he was so fluffy. And his eyes were still kind of milky blue, and he was just the most precious thing. And the magical part of Baloo being in my life is that Baloo came from this pack of wild dogs that, you know, people don't think about Atlanta having. Canis Atlanticus. It, yeah, exactly. But it does. Oh, yeah. Just like any major city 
it's going to have wild dogs and not just stray dogs, but truly wild dogs. They well, hunt like wolves. They're really cool to watch. Where y'all were, we're on a big freight yard. So yeah, it was this exactly. large area with not a lot of living people living yeah. there. Super cool. And they all have like this very similar body type because they, I don't know, I mean, it's. Like a Carolina dog, yeah. like a. Um, and in a, fact, there a lot of them are shaped. I mean, if you look at Baloo, he's very Carolina dog shaped, minus the pointy ears. Yeah, this um, this is the North American wild dog. Exactly, and so he came from a wild dog. Pack. He's a dingo. <laughs> dingo, I <laughs> didn't eat your baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, so that's cool, but why is it magical? Because about a year before I got Baloo. I was mauled by a very large dog. It was a Great Pyrenees Mountain Dog. And um, I didn't do anything wrong. The dog it, the dog had some issues, I found out later. Um, but one of the issues was that that night, the night before I went in to take care of him and the, and the goats, there had been wild dogs in there trying to eat the goats. And then also that night, those... Same wild dogs got into my chicken pen and killed and ate all of my chickens. And then, yeah, the very next day, I didn't even know that my chickens were dead yet. I went to go take care of these animals. The dog got me. Da, 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 da. Well, it's the very same dogs that Lulu came from. So. They took your chickens. You took one of their they children. Took that's my chickens. I mean, that, that's they, old school. They riled up Max, who then tried to eat me. Um, and then I ended up with one and I had a lot of PTSD from that, uh, naturally. Yeah. And I mean, that's a big ass dog. Yeah. I didn't think I would ever. Well, and those herd protection animals are yeah, an entirely a different. Male, uh, great peer. He was bigger than me. Um, he was taller than I was. I am. And I'm not a short woman. <laughs> he was taller than me if he stood up on his hind legs, which he did. And he knocked me on the ground and. It was a whole thing. I won't get in too deep into it, but um, but working with Baloo, because it turns out Baloo has some aggression issues himself, um, being that he's a wild dog. It's kind of normal, I guess. Um, but working with him has really helped me get over my PTSD um, to the point where I like walk dogs as a side hustle now. They don't really scare me anymore. So, so that's why the, that was, it's magical. That, yeah, it's a beautiful little closing of the circle. Yeah. Huh? Um, and why is he better than a, a partner? Yeah. doesn't talk about it. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. That is one of the most honest statements I've heard. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know that he's better than a partner. Um, I'm. He's better than any of the previous romantic partners i've had i guess which is why i have him still and i don't have them anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I get that yeah um, I, mean, I i would comment further but beth listens to this podcast sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you know here's the thing blue and i we like the same stuff you know we like sticks and squirrels, squirrels. biting people <laughs> <laughs> only if you ask nicely um <laughs> And uh, chopping around in the woods, and we just we have fun together. <laughs> Similar interests, you know. That's what makes a partnership work, right? Sure, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a, a dog similar to Baloo that um, 
actually was a mutt from the Atlanta pound okay. when Beth and I met and her name was Millie. And I didn't really think about it. My parents lived up in Cartersville at the time. Mm-hmm. I, Beth flew in from California and I picked her up at the airport and threw the dog in the back seat. I didn't think about it, but that was the first time the dog had ever been in the back seat. And years later, I found out that Millie stood in the back seat with her head on the far side of Beth's headrest from me and growled in her ear for the entire hour and 45 minute drive to my parents' house. She's probably so confused. Um, she, she's, I just got she, her place. Yeah, actually, she. She never forgave Beth for taking her place because, like, she slept in the bed with me. And Beth used to complain about her, like, dog doesn't listen. I'm like, sit down, come, dog listens. I don't know. And uh, we were living in Atlanta, and this was pre kids, and Beth's in the front yard. I'm in the backyard working, and I hear Beth screaming at the dog, and I, I, I throw down the rake. I'm, like, I'm done with this. I'm going to put an end to it. And I come around the corner of the house behind Millie mm-hmm. and as God is my witness Beth is calling the dog <laughs> dog literally shrugs and turns around to walk away and sees me <laughs> and just sits down yeah Baloo will sometimes do commands for Mark depending yeah. <laughs> on the command uh, he will always do them for me um, and Mark is definitely aside from me Mark is his favorite person in the whole world um, but nobody beats mom or in your case dad yeah and i think (laughs) millie literally just did it to be oh you're gonna take my place i'm not allowed to sleep in the bed anymore Uh (laughs) Uh and the only reason beth finally forgave the dog was the first time when jack was was little my oldest the first time we went out to dinner the babysitter called and like you got to come home and of course i'm freaking out she's like "No, no no the baby's fine but i can't get in the room Nice. I'm like, what the hell? Good dog. The dog was sleeping under his crib. Mm -hmm. And if anybody but one of us opened the door, Mm -hmm. she'd come back with her ears pinned back and all. (sighs) Mm -hmm. So I I had a place in my heart for wild dogs. Yeah. My dad is very happy that I have a balloon. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I would certainly think twice. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, man, this is this is like a, a Mark level digression on. Uh, Sorry. No, no, entirely my fault. No, yeah. You get Dan talking about dogs. Um, you know the the how why did you get started might be a little bit of a, a, a an open question because I get the impression pottery, the arts, you you've been kind of smithing adjacent for a while. Yeah, yeah. I've been smithing adjacent for a while. When I was in college, I uh, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts concentrating in ceramics and sculpture. And then within that, specifically pottery and foundry. So hmm. um, non-ferrous metals. No, so no iron pores or anything like yeah. that, but a lot of aluminum and bronze. Mostly working larger scale with some uh, resin sand, resin bonded sand. Uh, molds and things like that, but lost wax casting is essentially what it was, um, which is what I still do for jewelry. I just do it on a much smaller scale <laughs> and use plaster instead. So yeah, like adjacent, smithing adjacent, although I wouldn't have known it at the time. Um, but as far as how I got into actually smithing, um, Mark and I became friends when I moved to the goat farm 
and I wasn't. Really you replaced me when? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be perfectly honest, I was only vaguely interested in smithing, and in the same way that you know your friend is doing something kind of cool and you're like, Oh, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, like you, you play golf. Like, yeah, sure. I'll go out with you sometime or another, but I'm not going to become a golfer, whatever it might be. Um, but I was part of this. I was one of the founding board members of a space called mass collective, which is a maker space in downtown Atlanta. Um, and at the time we were renovating an old building and building a social media network and not really doing a whole lot else, but we were telling people what we wanted to do, which was going to be alternative education, um, you know, a bunch of equipment for people to be able to rent and use and so on and so forth. And I got a little tired of people saying, Oh my God, when are you guys going to do classes? And then having to say, well, you know, we got to sand the floors first and I don't really know. And so I, I thought, well, I've got all these friends who have all these cool skills and maybe I can promote their classes. If I can sell their classes under the mass collective name and give them most of the money, maybe take like, what was it? 20% or something like that, a minimal amount. But that's, that's usually what a pimp takes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but, you get the 20. Oh, my so I I thought, well, at least we would be doing something. You know, we might not have a space, but we have a concept. Yeah. So let me start acting on that. And uh, I guess Mark, on his own, was also thinking about education and teaching at some point. And um, he mentioned it to me or I mentioned it to him. I don't remember. I used to work at, at the coffee shop at the goat farm, and he would come in for coffee every morning. We would just chat. And... Um, Anyway, one thing led to another, and he decided to teach blacksmithing classes for Mass Collective, and I helped him uh, put together an email and a, a name for what his education part of his shop was going to be, and um, uh, I... So the grown-up stuff. The grown-up yeah, yeah, grown grown stuff. stuff. The yeah. stuff that I had absolutely no interest in doing, because yeah. my business was, up until that point, 100% word of mouth. Yeah. Right. So, and then I said, well, let's do the first class. Let's let it just be the board members of Mass Collective so that I know exactly what it is. That so I you can prove to me to. you don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just so I, so I know what I'm getting into here. And then, yeah, if, there, if, if it's too hard or whatever it might be. Yeah. And um, I loved it. I, it was really hard. I couldn't lift the hammer by the end of the class it was and of course i'm very much like i'm a strong independent woman and i don't want your help and we were making fire pokers <laughs> which were they were simple it was a fishtail scroll with a, a twist in the middle of the bar and a little square point on the end i think the whole thing was what like 36 inches yeah. maybe at the most long <laughs> but after we did the twist we had to straighten the thing on a stump with a rawhide mallet and the rawhide mallet weighs what like five pounds or so and i just like couldn't lift the mallet like i'm i'm grasping it with my fingertips <laughs> trying to lift it t-rex style there's, there's like no, i've got nothing left and i think mark finally came and he's like let me just can I clean that up for you? <laughs> and then the next day, no, he did it 
have his teaching skills okay. as much yet. Yeah. <laughs> he, mm, <laughs> I came later. Um, and the next day I'm trying to serve coffee and I've got T-Rex arms. I can't like open my hands or anything. <laughs> and I'm, it was a mess. And, but I loved it. And I kept coming to all of the classes and I got to the point where I didn't, I wasn't any good, but I kind of understood what needed to happen. So I could kind of assist him with the other students. And as long as you're one class ahead of the class. (laughs) Exactly. And my, my aha moment with smithing was Mark was demonstrating to us how to draw down a taper on the horn. And I'm watching what he's doing and I'm mimicking what I think I see him doing and it's not working. And I got really frustrated and like you, I wanted to throw the thing out the window and um, somehow or another, I came upon a YouTube video of somebody that had um, filmed themselves drawing down a taper on the horn in slow motion at horn level. So you're kind of looking at the point of the horn and it was slowed down enough to where I could actually see the physical movement of the steel each time the hammer struck. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked that it was exactly the same thing that I do when I pull a handle for a mug and pottery. And then I started thinking about all of the different things that I had been doing in smithing and realized that they were all the same things that I do in pottery. And I thought, well, if I can just make the hammer and the anvil do what I would have my fingers do if this were clay, then I can, then it becomes easy all of a sudden. And, um, I, I don't know. I think Mark probably saw a change pretty much immediately. It's almost instantaneous. Yeah. So very cool because when, when you have that light bulb, and, you know, especially at the beginning of I mean, you know, the learning of a process, those light bulbs at the beginning are just huge, you know. And as you get further down the line, those light bulbs get smaller and dimmer. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was kind yeah, of the turning massive. point for me. It, 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 at that point, then it became more of a hand-eye coordination problem and physical muscle memory. strength, muscle memory kind of thing. Um, uh. You work in a couple of different mediums, mm-hmm. but um, how would you how would you define your style? Mm. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? <laughs> <and why? laughs> I would be a tree. Um, oh, you don't have to tell me why. <laughs> um, my style. I I don't know if I have a signature style per se. Maybe I do and somebody else can tell me what it is. Um, But one thing I will say is with most of my work, I try to keep the functionality of whatever it is that I'm making at the forefront and anything that is decorative comes after. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's, a lot of the people that listen, uh, a lot of the people that Kyle and I work with, they're making tools first. Yeah. So we've always preached that it's a tool yeah. that you def- decide on the, the what the purpose of it is. Mm-hmm. And then anything that helps that you keep, mm-hmm. anything that hinders it, you get rid of. Mm-hmm. And anything that's neutral becomes an artistic decision. 
Exactly. And I, I mean, I did come up in art school, so we studied line and form and balance, et cetera, et cetera. So I, of course, bring those into any of the designs that I do. Um, but I would say subtlety and functionality mm-hmm. over form, because if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do and it doesn't do it well without you being aggravated, then what is the point of it in the first place? Also, I'm going to add one extra thing that you forgot about all your designs, whether pottery, jewelry, knives, is um, ergonomics. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I want it, it to feel really good. Um, it's I want people to I want people to touch it <laughs> and like really enjoy touching it. <laughs> As we all do. Um, so the Bob Loveless School of Design. <laughs> Um, when I managed that coffee shop at the goat farm, I would sneak some of my mugs in the coffee shop and I would sit at the counter and I would serve people coffee in my own mugs and I wouldn't tell them that I made the mugs. And I loved just watching people hold my mugs and like caress them and smuggle with them and stuff. Um, cause it was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing, I'm doing a good thing here. People are. We're still talking it. about mugs, right? Yeah. Okay. But if if people can form almost like an emotional, oh yeah, physical attachment to something that you make, um, then they're going to become addicted to it, and then maybe you know maybe they'll buy more of your stuff, or even if they don't, they have a uh, you become part of their story in their life, and they're they're never going to let that thing go. They're going to love it. Well, and there's the there's the fact that you built a purpose thing so well that it's a pleasure to use and well-made artisan craft, you know, custom-made work. It's got a little bit of a soul. It's got a little bit of you in there. Yeah. And that, I feel like that's kind of the connection that, that some people get. Kind of wish you had one of your mugs to put in Dan's hands at this moment, just to be like, Oh, there you go. Get it. He needs a seat coat. I mean, oh yeah, yeah I know. I those know. are those are all in my shop. I've got some of my pottery over there, yeah. but anyway. yeah. so I'll get you in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I I could I could go more into it, but I want to keep it keep it classy. And I think no. we should just go for it because I, no, um, <laughs> I, we've talked about before that uh, a lot of my aesthetic design is a woman. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean those curves. Nature did it first and did it best. Yeah. You know, if we can, if we can mimic some of those shapes in a way that makes sense, um, then people are going to be naturally drawn to it. I have these cups, Mark says tea cups. I have these cups that have, instead of a handle, they have these little, we'll call it a nubber, little nubber. Um, and they're narrow at the top and rounded and full at the bottom. And you're meant to put the number between your fingers Ah. and then you cup the bottom of it. And we don't have to go any further about that. It just feels natural. Everybody loves them. Men, women, doesn't matter. They all love these things. And I'm just sitting here like laughing because they're just their little breasts. (laughs) But when you see somebody like snugging that cup of coffee and just kind of playing the rim of the coffee mug and the, the rims are super fine yeah so and it, the back side curves out and it just, it just fits. Your lip. and yeah. also there's a different i 
I like to have texture differences. So I rarely glaze the outside of my mugs, only the inside. So on your bottom lip, you feel the roughness of the clay. And then on your top lip, you feel the smoothness of the glaze with the liquid. It's really very sensual. Yeah, that's, and, that's, that's, I was about to say, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, I, but no, I get that, the, the, that the rough make, and the smooth. Yeah, and anything that I make, whether it's pottery or a knife or or any other forged thing, like I want it to, ha- obviously you're not going to stick a knife in your mouth, I hope. But mm. I mean, <laughs> I mean there's own. some Errol Flynn movies. Each their own, but I want it to have that same, just mm, you know, like just this. Well, pottery forging knives. I mean, there's all tactile feedback. Yeah, I wanted to just. I wanted to feel really good. And to your point about natural shapes, depending on your perspective either thousands or millions of years of evolution, these shapes have come out for a reason. Yeah. You know, cultural cultures that were completely isolated from each other were fixated on and came to these shapes for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this may be a little harder because your, your style is a little harder to define, but at least from the perspective of, of forging, working with Mark, how, how did you find your own voice as a maker? How could you take your education from Mark and, and make it yours? I think it wasn't as hard as it could have been because I already had a style with my other work, the other mediums. So, again, steel, hot steel is just clay, <laughs> you know, so... It's just angry clay. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Um, so it's pretty easy for the... I feel like you could look at my metalwork and you can look at my pottery and you could know that they were done by the same person, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, but also Mark's style is great and we have a very similar... Um, aesthetic anyway so even though you could you could definitely look at my stuff and look at his stuff and see that they're made by different people um they're not completely different from each other it's, it's kind of the thing though you know if you look at if you go to like our ba- uh, blade show booth right when you've got jessica's work devon's work my work and then goat and hammer you can tell that we're all in the same family, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it, our designs, this was the thing with Goat and Hammer, it's an open discussion. So everything was developed and designed kind of communally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the other hand, I've noticed that the people you train tend to not be just a less experienced version of you. I mean, in, in a lot of schools, you'll see... Um, Maybe not. I push that actually. I'm like, don't make what I do do you. (laughs) I would say that one of the main differences in the way that Mark and I build things is Mark is very mathematically inclined and is very um, he thinks in terms of numbers and proportions, and he's and he's mathematical about it. He draws it out and he's got the grids and he's got the golden ratio is the only ratio and he's got a you know a um like 
what are you blueprinting drafting background and and he he makes exactly what he draws and he draws well so it works out i'm a little bit more artsy fartsy about it um i math is terrifying to me even though i've had to get over that to a degree working (laughs) with steel um and i i kind of more I don't know. It sounds hippy dippy, but I just kind of feel it out as I'm going. See what the steel wants to be. Well, no, 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 no. There are no, no. mistakes. There's just happy little accidents. No, I don't <laughs> let the steel do what it wants to do in that sense because why would I? I mean, I can draw something and I can then forge it and it will look like what I drew. But I don't typically do all of the like. I don't necessarily know that I'm working with the rule of thirds. I just do it because it's what feels right. And then Mark will take it and he'll say, look, you've worked with the rule of thirds. You didn't even know you were doing it. So I guess that's the main difference. So you're, you're more instinctual where yes. Mark is more analytical, you but you, you, come, you come to the same place. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Instinctual is a good way to turn it. I think mine is purely from a production standpoint where I have to make the same thing 300 times. And that's how I have now learned to approach it. But it's so cool having somebody like Jessica in the shop doing stuff because she is free with it. She's just, she's not limited by the material. I'm limited by tradition and by what is right and what is wrong. And she's like, I'm just going to have fun. And make <laughs> two hundred spoons. Oh. I did that when I first started forging. Mark wanted us to make points. His points disciplines, which <laughs> if he hasn't talked about them, don't get him started. Um, although they they actually are very important. But I was frustrated by them, like a lot of people are in the beginning, because I wanted everything to have a purpose. Like, why am I making these things? And the ethereal purpose of improving my skills wasn't good enough. Mm. So, um, pointist, he, he had given me a spoon for my birthday gift and it was this beautiful forged bronze spoon. And I thought it was so cool. And I said, I need you to teach me how to make a spoon. And I didn't really have the skill set to make spoons yet. I don't let that stop me. By God, (laughs) I was going to make a spoon and then I didn't stop making spoons. It's all I made for like a year, I guess. And, um, and then you were mistress of the spoon. Mistress of the spoon. But it teaches you so much. And mm. here's a funny thing. It's, can we mention Forged and Fire yet? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so before we went on Forged and Fire. Spoiler, they were on Forged and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined it. Um, Why do I even bother with show notes? I made a whole lot. I think you'd only completed and handled one knife. Yeah, I I mean I had I had done a few like blacksmith knives or what are they Viking belt knives whatever that kind of knife I'd done a few of those and um, I'd done a few like blanks that I hadn't actually put handles on and I had because that's the them. boring part. Well, <laughs> no, because you know with the classes 
Oh yeah. Most of the time you only get so far and then you have to get pulled away to like do something else. Straighten something out, apply direct pressure. You never get to finish anything that you work on. And I would take the class, but I was taking it as an assistant as well. So I'd have to start and stop. And anyway, but I had made about a gazillion spoons and a spoon is a knife. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that. It's just more Painful when you cut someone's heart out. I mean, you can sharpen a spoon. Um, I didn't shank you with a spoon. Yeah. Um, anyway, and people are going to be like, spoons aren't knives. Yes, they are. They are spoons and, and leaves and knives. More specifically, like hidden tang knives or through, or through tang knives or blacksmith style knives. Um, it's the same processes that you're using to make them same shape just different applications you know drawing down a little tail except for you know just minor changes in the steps um part of what i want to talk about is goat and hammer because it i certainly think it is a leader as far as schools especially here in america um there's not a lot that do what y'all do, and certainly not at the volume y'all do. Um, do, did, did, will do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, it, yeah, there's an asterisk as you, as you build the new goat farm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yes, so, you know, a, Mark got me addicted and then abandoned me up in the, oh. the wilds of North Georgia. Well, he thought you could handle it. Mm. You should be proud of yourself you had that much faith in me um i thought he just got intimidated by my skill like just how quickly i progressed Uh, i mean i I clearly heard him weeping as he left um but uh we can touch on the goat farm and where that came from and how the two of you came to be um the goat and hammer (laughs) and how long you worked for Mark or Mark worked for you before he knew that y'all were working together? I had no idea. It, um, it, it's just a good pimp relationship. <laughs> something like I, that. I, I, I heard a version where some things had changed at the collective. And at some point, Mark suggested that you should come work for him. And you pointed out to it that you'd been working for him for three weeks. Uh, well, okay. So mass collective, we talked about that a little bit. That's how Goat and Hammer as an as a name started because I needed Mark to have I said, Well, do you want it to be at Mark's blacksmith shop or do you want a, a different name for your shop? And Mark McMarky face. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's McForge or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. So um so he came up with Goat and Hammer and I'll let him tell that story. But um <laughs> the goat farm itself. But you got to keep it under 45 minutes. Yeah. The goat farm itself was somewhat unrelated, except for that's just where we happened to have our shop at. Um, so, yeah, Mass Collective, we were doing the classes under Mass Collective for a long time. Um, Mass Collective was undergoing some growing pains, let's call it, to be restructuring gentle. Um, Mass Collective is still in existence, by the way, and they're awesome. They're now a nonprofit, I fully support everything they're doing. But, Castleberry Hill, yeah, super cool. But there, there were some growing pains. There were some growing pains at the beginning. And we were all kids. We were in our, what, mid-20s, mid to late 20s. and Wee babes. Yeah. And, um, and 
stuff. Anyway, so I decided that I needed to resign from the board at Mass Collective. And um, more growing pains happened and Mark's classes weren't doing as well as they had been previously for whatever reason that might be. He was running them. I'm and, just going to throw uh, that out. They were still going through. Uh, oh, were they? they were still okay. Going through mass but there was a new person. There's a new person. Uh, okay. Now I'm tracking. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so then Mark got frustrated and he was like, well, I don't want to do this for Mass Collective anymore. I was still helping him out as an assistant in all the classes because I still wanted to learn. I was essentially apprenticing-ish. Uh, slave um, labor is the common term now. <laughs> well, it's a choice. Um, and uh, he says, well, just do what you were doing for them, but do it for me. And uh, I think that the trade, it actually wasn't money exchange at that point. Uh, he traded me some shop space. Um, the, the studio that was next door to his was going up for rent and uh, he was saying how much he'd always wanted to have that studio. And I think I said something like, well, you've got all of us hanging out in your shop anyway. Why don't you just make us pay you rent and then you can rent that space and then you'll have it. And which effectively tripled or well, yeah, turned, doubled again, the size of our shop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so he did exactly that but i didn't pay for my little portion instead i worked for mark uh mm-hmm. and built built my skill set up and I, I fell for that scam too well it was it, it was good yeah. it worked out really well for both of us i think yeah. and yeah. uh eventually i got good enough to where i was designing all the beginner classes and teaching them or i i i was forced into teaching them i didn't want to teach at first i was too scared um, but I was designing them and Mark said, all right, you're making me enough money to where I can pay you, <laughs> but you have to start teaching your classes because I only have limited energy. So then I started teaching. Yeah. And, you know, I've got to remember when we first started doing mass collective, we were doing one class a month. By, by the time that we moved from the goat farm, when they went to re- redevelopment, we were doing six classes a week and for those not <laughs> privy to the atlanta area the goat farm was a huge industrial space that was on the edge of a, a csx yard wasn't it csx and the waterworks um that uh became a maker space for a while and if i arts community, arts community? Yeah. yeah it was basically um like a uh <clears throat> office park but for artists and the goat farm name came from that they had goats that lived on the yeah. roof, didn't they? No. No, no they were just had. Oh, in the yard. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming there were goats, there were hammers, that really just named itself. <laughs> Actually, completely unrelated. Uh, so it's kind of, um, you know, we're bouncing around ideas for the name for Goat and Hammer. And uh, I was like, I think I turned to you and I was like, okay, let me think about this a bit. And then I came back and said, okay, I thought it was a really silly story. Um, but the long and short of it is um, a friend of mine, when I was in Africa, came and spent about a year with me. And we came back and we were having an interview and somebody asked us a kind of foolish and inappropriate question. And the response was, Paddy goes, well, he's got a goat. 
And I said, I've got a hammer (laughs) through the, you know, through the interview out of the window a little bit. Uh, But um, kind of long and short of it, we're looking for a name. And I was like, what do you feel about goat and hammer? And Justin's like, yeah, okay, sure. What's the story behind that? And and I might be misremembering it, how it kind of came about. And I told her the non-PC version. And then um, I said, but, you know, um, you know, goats and hammers and stuff. It'll make a great logo. So pretty much. Pretty much. And then later we found out that Thor's chariot was pulled by goats. Pulled by goats, and we're like, yeah, that's yeah, totally right. So, and just like the rest of it, all very kind of serendipitous and just kind of flopped where it was. Uh, and if a lot of people don't realize our logo, the head of the hammer is actually a zoomorphic goat, which is with its legs intertangled and its head down. Oh, okay. Hammer face, and the kind of the peak of the hammer. So it's because it's very similar to uh, Thor's hammer, sorry. So the peak of the hammer is the top of the spine and the back of the cross peak is the tail of the goat. Uh, and then the ogham, which is on the shaft of the hammer, is, you can get through this, Danny, you got this, actually says... Best behavior. Actually says goat and hammer on it. So <clears throat> technically having goat and hammer around the logo is not required. Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I knew there was a meaning in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. always. Um, always. <laughs> so... And we can touch on lost your space uh, in the process of building a new space, mm-hmm. but what y'all were and what you're in the process of being was a school as much as, as anything. Um, kind of how did that develop? We decided that we wanted a village. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're so right. We decided um, we wanted a village. And, Pretty much. And we built one. Yeah, we did. A heck of a village. And then it burned down. It didn't burn down. Well, then the Visigoths came and yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was pillaging and <laughs> we've been displaced. Yeah, so now we've we got to the hills. <laughs> now we've got to build another village. Yeah. But this time we can't be displaced. Yeah. Uh, so, so the interesting thing, we, um, I was at the goat farm for. 13 plus years, I think. It's, it's kind of difficult to remember the, the time, but we, we think it's about 13 years. And um, Gotenhammer, I believe the first class was something like August the 13th of 2013. I think it, it was something around I think about that. That sounds about yeah. right. Um, and, uh, you know, slowly building the workshop up, it, it it was really originally intended, the idea of the classes was to give us financial space to pick, or for me to um, be able to pick and choose the custom projects that I was doing. So at that time in 2013, Atlanta's um, custom iron market had gone crazy. So I said to Jessica, look, if you... If we can make Goat and Hammer make enough money to cover the cost of the workshop, that will then allow me to pick the projects that I do. And then as it kind of grew a bit more, it's like, well, maybe we can get this to work for more people. How do we build a mechanism? And that's really all Goat and Hammer ever really started off as, as a mechanism to generate an income to allow us to do the work that we wanted to do. Your passion. Mm-hmm. 
problem was that Jotunheimer is all-consuming. It was too successful. <laughs> I know that's a horrible thing to say. No, no, and uh, there's a lot of people. A lot of people that listen are either getting started or they're trying to grow. Yeah, and. Yeah. What kills more makers than anything else is they succeed faster than they're prepared for, and they drowned. They drowned in their own success. Well, what it was is that it was very successful, and if we hadn't lost our space, we would be doing great right now. Oh, yeah. Um, We even, the pandemic didn't hurt us too badly. Um, I mean, it did in other ways, but... um, but not really. But not really. I mean, but all these people that couldn't go to work and had yeah. and had yeah. COVID money, they could yeah. come exactly. for classes. Exactly. We, we still had a bunch of people coming out. We, you know, we like dropped the number of students we had. You know, all the stuff that you have to do. But, uh, but what killed us is that we didn't have diversity in our income stream. So that when we had to move, and we suddenly found out that we couldn't jump right back into class. So uh, what we intended on doing was staying at the goat farm longer and running classes there while we were building this space out. And we were able to do that a little bit. We got six months. But we were hoping to have more like a year or two and it just didn't work out that way. And so when we got here and we couldn't do classes because we didn't have a space for them, we didn't have a way to make money anymore because we weren't we hadn't been doing the custom work or the knife making all the other, and all of the other things. All of that had dried up because the goat and hammer had been so successful. And there was still stuff. There were still projects, but they were not sufficient. You know, like, like Devon, Devon doesn't have an income right now. So we threw the Donny knife project over to Devon so that he, in, in a sense, in essence, can, still generate an income. And he can bridge the gap yeah, he until he can teach again. Until we get ourselves back to a new place. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jessica took a little bit of a left turn and sorry, I'm telling you your yeah, stories. No, but, go ahead, uh, it took a little bit of a left turn and was like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go and we've got some friends in the gripping industry. I'm going to get into the movie stuff. That way I can do a couple of days a month or you know, yeah. a couple of days a week and, or whatever it might be that covers all my expenses. And then get back to doing stuff. Which was awesome until that strike happened. And now I'm walking dogs. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it's like, okay. But, you know, we were doing two and a half thousand seats plus or minus a year. So that means we were running, yeah. give or take, two and a half yeah. thousand human beings through making stuff per year. And we developed... Hundreds of classes. Yeah. We've we've got hundreds of classes that are developed mm-hmm. from like Etsy stuff yeah. to so we've got like traditional blacksmithing, tool making, uh architectural iron, you know, traditional forging, knife smithing, right, axes, spears, tomahawks, um we've got bottle openers, bo- yeah. candle holders. And, uh, bracelets, bracelets, jewelry, and all, all of our classes. We should say that I think that part of the reason we were so successful is that um, all of our classes they were never haphazard, or they were a little bit in the beginning, but that got fixed. Um, like I said, Mark wasn't immediately an excellent teacher. I that came. I'm aware. 
He showed it to me. Yeah, he showed me that. Like, um, it, that took practice on mm -hmm. his part. Uh, I like to think that I helped a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you definitely rounded off some rough edges. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we used to do a class, and at the end of a class, we would sit and we would have a close to at the beginning, close to two hours of debrief. Yeah, like an after action. Yeah. yeah. And so and, all of our classes now are very, like, we want to write a book because our class notes are that. Well, and that's a little specific. of what I wanted to touch. Yeah. Not only how did you structure your class, but backing it up to who were your clients and how did you find them? I don't even know how we found them. They found us. They found us. Mm -hmm. We started with the Mass Collective folks, right? Like Mass Collective advertised, so they came in through that. And then word of mouth from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's really how we did a couple of like events, uh, makers. Yeah, we did some of the Maker, maker Fair, and then uh, we had the stuff with um, Homestead Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, another <laughs> diet. Another group that, yeah, yeah kind of like Georgia Bushcraft, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. And we did that, it, but truly, word of mouth, people started telling their friends about a cool experience, and then, well, and that's were, also, your, were your clients people that they want to become makers, no, or are they people no, taking a oh, no, so, and that's what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. So Mark originally developed the program to be like an apprentice program, yeah. have an apprentice program. It's awesome. But the, we never got to teach it. The problem is the people that want to be blacksmiths already have hard working jobs. You yeah. know, a lot of them are like blue collar folks who are working physically demanding jobs and they don't want to spend their off time coming and hitting stuff with a hammer. They're tired. Yeah. Um, we have computer <laughs> programmers and engineers and bankers um, and People with disposable income and a severe need to do something tangible. Now, I will say that as as we've grown and um, we have gotten more of those folks, those blue collar folks who are like, I just really want to try this to see if it's something I want to maybe pursue. Yeah. Um, and I, I know my wife, Beth, is in the corporate world and they get a lot of I worked my butt off all week and I can't point to anything. Yeah. yeah. So I assume, especially yeah, in Atlanta, you get people yeah. that want to be able to say, yeah. I made that. Yeah, well, do you remember when all our classes are like, what do you do? Computers. Computer programmer. Computers. What do you do? Electrical engineer. What do you do? Yeah. Well, okay. Is so there... we have physical energy. That it's like, with, okay, I'm going to compare humans to dogs, but we're animals, right? Yeah, so when you're animal. training a dog, you, you, you know, people think that they have to exercise their dog. Uh, physically only in order to get them tired out, but you also have to exercise them mentally. Now with us, I feel like the opposite has kind of happened is like, we've got oh, a lot you're getting of mental, plenty of, we've got a lot of mental stimulation, but we don't have as much physical stimulation or, or physical activity as, as we used to. And so if people hit the gym, I, I think that's why like the gym life is so big and uh, people go jogging. Da, da, da. Uh, but then also within this this burning of energy, both mental and physical, like we as humans want to have something tangible to show for the energy that we spent. And when you're doing things on computers, the only 
tangible thing that you have that you can touch is a paycheck at the end of the week. Here's another thought, though. Humans always have decorated. You go to the caves, people yeah. painted yeah. the walls. They sat down with antler bones and carved things in them. Yeah. They, you know, a house, you, you don't just have a box. Yeah. You decorate it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so much... We want to create, we yeah. want to embellish, think, we want to make beauty. I think that's why, especially at that moment, because like when we started, social media was starting to get really big. Yeah. All of that stuff was really starting to blow up. And then what was um, it, two, three years in, Fortune Fire And then two, three years in, Fortune Fire. Oh yeah, we got to touch yeah. on that. <laughs> we, uh... were, we really hit that that niche of like, not only do you burn physical energy here, but then you have a something tangible that you can i did this i did this my energy and emotions and everything went into this thing and i can show it to people but not only that you can then take the thing out back into your world and do a thing with it so you made a fire poker i now poke fires i've made a candlestick i can now put a candle on it and he's like i made that look it's cool you know or a knife and i can now shift people i think that's why knives specifically are so popular you everybody knows what a knife can do. Yeah. They can see themselves using that well, in their day-to-day life. Everybody's got a kitchen. Uh, yeah. 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 You may just be opening packages, but you know, yeah. not everybody's got a fireplace. Not everybody's wife will let them put their first candlestick holder out. But but you can use a knife. Bottle openers. Yeah. You know, but those are the kinds Again. of things. When you... And that was something that... Hot racks, yeah, hooks. Exactly. And that was the thing when we started developing the classes. When I originally developed the first series of classes, it was purely process-based. So we are making this thing to achieve this thing, to make a tool or to make a thing that will then be used to make more things. So it was often very tool-driven. And we have an awesome program that we teach up at John C. Campbell, which is basically a hybrid of those classes that we do in the summertime and we do in the wintertime and it's like introduction to blacksmithing through tool making and then we do a class which is things on sticks so it's making your hammers your top tools you know your punches your drifts your all this kind of stuff but for the everyday joe they want sip and paint they want to go out and it's like i'm going to go make a bottle open i'm going to go make a railroad spike knife i want to make a candlestick i want to make you know they want to process more than an end result no, they want to. Or an end, I'm sorry, the other way around. Yeah, they want to think. So more so, they don't. They don't need be, the skill. They don't want to be a blacksmith. They want to have an experience where they know what it would feel like to be a blacksmith. They want the heat. They want the sweat. They want the noise, and then they want to leave with a cool thing and be able to tell their buddy the story. Yeah, or bring table. their buddy next yeah. time, yeah. or whatever it might be. And and to, and. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. No, I, mean, I went rafting once because I wanted to know what rafting was like. Yeah. I don't want to be a professional rafter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but the thing is, that was not what the business was intended to be. Yeah. What we did is we automatically pivoted. Yeah. And, you know, this is everything against every business class that you'll ever go to where they're like, so you need to plan out what your business is going to be, blah, blah, blah. And this is the path that you take. If we'd done that, we'd have shut down in the first year. It yeah. would never have happened. Because the pool of people that want to be makers and have the time to learn yeah. is tiny. Very small. The pool of people that want to make. Yeah. It's massive. You know, okay. yeah. there's a reason why people, why sip and paint is a thing, you know, 
or you go to one of those pottery classes where you like do stuff and then they fire it for you or you know you go to a glass blowing place and you leave with a bauble and it's like yeah can i have my christmas tree so the yeah the 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 place to build the market is not trying to find five apprentices it's the typically the white collar yeah because they're frustrated (laughs) i was gonna get there they're frustrated they want to make a physical thing yeah Maybe some nostalgia of my dad could fix things and I can't swing a hammer. Yeah. yeah. Or and then I was in the Boy Scouts and we went to Dollywood or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then disposable income. And then these days it's often, I saw Forge and Fire and I thought I could maybe do that. And it would be cool. Or they wanted a new hobby. I read somewhere probably, what, six years ago that blacksmithing was fastest the fastest growing grow. hobby in the U.S. I don't know if that's still true, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, and Fortune Fire has been such a mixed blessing. Oh, I think it's great. Um, I mean, yeah, mixed blessing, I get it. But, I mean, for us, from a business standpoint, it's been amazing. I love the attention that it has brought to the knife industry. (laughs) I get very frustrated with, well, they made a knife in an hour. Yeah. I think maybe people are starting to to get that that's not how it's really done because so many people now have YouTube channels and so on and so forth showing, okay, well, this is what it's really like. Um, You know, how many people I've had, we've had in classes who are like, I've watched every episode of Forge and Fun. I've watched every video that Alex Steele's put out. And, you know, and I know all there is to know about blacksmithing and you then get them to swing the hammer for the first time. Yeah. And theoretical knowledge versus application. Yeah. It's like me watching baseball and, you know, seeing how to make a field goal or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and that right there has summed up the great divide between English and real sports. <laughs> um, so well, let's, let's touch in. Uh, we've, we queued up fortune fire and uh, I don't know if I want to spoiler the way it ended for y'all, but I do want to queue up that here we are. We're going to do fortune fire. It's the mentor apprentice. And no, you choose to take. Does he make you call him master? <laughs> no, this dude would do it on purpose to embarrass me. I literally had turned scarlet. <laughs> so messed up. So it's the master apprentice. And you, as the master, choose to take an apprentice that has made one knife. So. <laughs> you just said you'd made one. Absolutely true. Well, with wooden handle, I made, made like. One. <laughs> I did that, that loveless style one. Yeah, so just start removal. One. And so. then I did the puto. So Jessica, so two, two. Jessica had made a beautiful and forged Brass bolster or yeah, brass, brass bolster. bolster. Um, well, it's dog. brass and leather and copper. Yeah, puko with a dogwood handle, absolutely exquisite. And I mean, to this day, you still carry it, right? That's, uh, I mean, I yeah. have it yeah. in, a, in a little bit, but yeah, it's yeah, it was, it was on her belt all the time when we were first up here. Yeah, it doesn't fly as well walking dogs and yeah. carrying that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she made that. And she'd done a Paul Brock came out and we did a Loveless style class. And, you know, he was interested in teaching the grinding style side of it. Mm-hmm. And then 
I went through and did all like that. And I'm like old school with that stuff, soldered on bolsters, all that kind of stuff, you know, keeping it legit, tapered tangs, the full works. So that was the other knife that Jessica made. Yeah, and then, yeah, I made and a handful was, of little blacksmithy knives yeah. and some, and I have four some profiles of some. A year's worth of spins. A lot, a lot of spins. And, and what you got to realize with the spoons, Jessica was kind of stuck in this rut. She's like, I want to practice forging. I hate making points. And by the way, anybody who forges and doesn't make points needs to reassess their lives and go and learn how to make one-inch square points on half-inch bar, right? And then hot cut it off. Uh, uh, this is like woodworkers having to make a perfect cube. Yeah, it? yeah, exactly. It's yeah. the same thing. And we have five points. So sorry for this minor segue. So we have the square point, the octagonal point, the round point, the diamond point, which is square point, but it's on the corners, and then a chisel point. And that is the foundation of all tapers, okay? Um, and then it shakes on sticks as the other exercise. But anyway, by the by. Um, but the mistress of spoons is now going to go forged on fire with you. I yeah, in fire. want to do forged yeah. on fire. Oh. So how, how it came about, <laughs> I'm in the coffee shop. Jessica, I think you were, you were there, right? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Um, so I'm in the coffee shop. I get a phone call from Paul Brock. And Paul's like, hey, I'm at, uh, I'm at the studios doing Forged in Fire. You need to speak to this guy. And passes me over to the producer, right? So I've never watched an episode of that show. And people were always saying to us in the shop, weren't they? They're like, when are you going to go on Forged in Fire? When Not are you going? to us, to you. Yeah, to me, yeah. Because I wasn't a knife maker, whatever. Yeah. I was just made spoons. And, you know, we were teaching some some nice, simple knife classes. So, like, simple forge shapes, like clip point, drop points, those kinds of things, some handle stuff. And uh, they're like, when are you going to go on forge? And I'm like, I'm not going to go on that damn show. Um, I haven't even watched it. And the only way that they'll get me to go on that show is, A, they're going to call me, and they're going to make it a team sport. Otherwise, I'm not going on that. And the universe listened. So I got a gigantic boot in the you-know-what when the universe came and slapped me in the face and was like, hey, so this juice And Paul, the thing was, Paul was bragging up the fact. He's like, we need, you need to get these people on because these guys are blacksmiths. Yep. They're not knife makers. They are blacksmiths that make knives. You can give them a fire and a pile of steel and they'll make every single tool to get to making the knife, yeah. including the grinder if needs be, because that's what yeah. we did. And anyway, turns out I'm nattering with this dude on the other end of the phone. I just got, had an interview. I didn't even know I had an interview. <laughs> and, and again, the, the great wave of life, right? And um, anyway, I'm, next thing I know, they want to do a Skype interview. Skype interview. I don't know what Skype is. <clears throat> I don't even have a laptop. You know? It's a little bird. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you sneak up on it and you put a burlap back over it. So I'm like, Jess, I've got to do this Skype thing. I don't I don't know what a Skype thing is. Um, I figured it out for so <laughs> that seems to be people? That seems to be a theme in y'all's relationship. And you know yeah. what? But I, we, it's, it's mutual. It's mutual, yeah. It's definitely mutual. And, and you know what? It's absolutely awesome having somebody who is by your side in an endeavor, which is completely bloody stupid, by the way. I mean, who is going to just get a job? Yeah. Anyone who's out there watching this thing, get a job until 
and a, a well-paid job until the hobby that you have is actually take, being taken away from making money because your real job is in the way of it. I, we always say <laughs> the best way to ruin a hobby is do it for money. Yeah. Uh, nobody listens because we have the show, but we tell people don't yeah. don't become a maker. Don't, don't become a maker. Sorry. <laughs> So, so yeah, anyway, Jessica's setting up the Skype thing. We're in our old – did you go to our old office? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've got that wall of knives and swords and axes and all kinds of stuff, and they're like – you know, so Jess- That just happens to be the background. Yeah, well, not- yeah, it definitely wasn't planned or anything. <laughs> um, so I was setting up this camera, and uh, I took the Skype call. Mark had to run to the bathroom or something, and it's a woman uh, who's on there. We're chatting, and – um, she says, so what are you, do you do this too? I'm like, yeah, I do some forging and da, da, da. I've been doing it for so, I think it had been four years that I've been smithing at that point. She says, well, do you make knives? I was like, yeah, I've made a few knives. And she's like, oh, I'd love to see them. So I showed her a few of the little things that I'd made. And This is my spoon knife. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, would you ever want to be on the show? We need more women on the show. And I said, no, I'm definitely, I don't feel like my skills are there yet. I I wouldn't feel comfortable or confident being on the show. She said, okay, well, you know, I had to ask. And I thought that, that we were done with it. Well, I think you also kind of threw out a comment that was very loose, something along the lines of, I, I wouldn't might... want to do it by myself, um... is what I said. I said, I wouldn't want to do that show by myself because I don't feel like, I don't feel confident enough to be able to, to go on that show by myself. And the universe is like, hey, watch this. I'm going to get a twofer. <laughs> <laughs> so he does the Skype interview. And I think, what was it? The next day, we get a phone call. And what did they say? You were on the phone with I. And it was something along the lines of, do you think think that we could get Jessica to go on if we made it a Master and Apprentice episode. So they made the whole episode concept just to capture you. I don't know about that. Oh, no, that's the way I'm telling the story. (laughs) I think that they had... They'd already done the other episode. They they had done one Master and Apprentice episode before, which apparently, I'm not going to tell any secrets, but apparently it was a mess. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the other thing was there was another woman who they were trying to get to come on the show. And she also was like, eh, I don't know if I, I feel comfortable. And so that was Kelly. And, yeah, that was Kelly, Kelly and Raleigh. Yeah. And, uh, it was Kelly who didn't feel confident coming on the show by herself. So they had a couple women who were maybes and then, then they, had me that was a like, eh, I don't know. And so they thought, well, you know, maybe let's try this master and apprentice thing again. And so, you know, at that point they had just made it a team sport and yeah. Mark had told the universe that's what he needed. And I went mostly thinking that I was going to support him. Yeah, just to have his back as a, a, a you know, a good minion. Well, we didn't know because we didn't know what the game there was. hadn't been the, the Master and Apprentice episode that they had shot hadn't aired. hadn't aired yet. So we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know what it was going to be. I just figured I was going to be helping them out. Yeah. You know, like normal. So here's the thing. <laughs> so we got, they said, okay, we're going to do it. And we had no idea how long they don't tell you, oh, in like six weeks, we're going to give you a whole uh, It's like, okay, awesome. We're going to do your episode someday. 
he will get a phone call. And I think they gave us a tentative date. Yeah, it was going to be like late summer. Yeah. So, you know, this is like early fall, something like that. So I was like, okay, Jess, what we're going to do. Was it early fall? Oh, no, no, it's early spring. Early spring. So I said, okay, Jess, what we're going to do, because we have no idea what we're going to actually have to do, each week we are going to start timing ourselves. We're going to design a knife. We're going to start timing ourselves, forging the blade. And we're going to give ourselves three hours. We're going to forge it, have to get it into quench. And then we're going to do another day or afternoon or something. And we're going to grind a knife and put a handle on it each. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and we did it in, in different ways, right? So we, we, we played yeah. it to where we each made the same knife. We played it to where and, yeah, yeah. we each... So we'd pass it back and forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'd so pass one it back heat, and yeah. forth. You take a heat, I take a heat. Um, we, well, we would each make a knife and then, yeah, every hour or something, we would trade knives. So I would work on the knife he was working on. He would work on the knife I was working on. We, we We're tried to make exactly the same knife side by side. Oof. Yeah. So that was fun. So that we try and come out with exactly yeah. the same Um, knife. we played it to where he didn't do anything except for tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, uh, Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we, we played the game in as many ways we could have to play it in the shop. And then we also, of course, made ourselves do stupid forge welding stuff. Like we got a nasty, greasy, old, disgusting elevator cable and did cable Damascus and did container stuff. And I don't know about Mark's, but mine, both of those came out really well. Super, had no problems. Magically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jessica's forge welds went better than my forge welds did. And that's that's more of a, a power thing. So, you know, forge welds um, benefit from a slightly lighter hammer blow mm. and often a slightly lighter hammer. So I got to study with Elmer Rauch, and he has a hammer that he handmade. It's made out of raw time with a, a carbon steel face forge welded on it. And that is his forge welding hammer. It's a little bit lighter than his normal hammer. It's a shade. It's like a pound and a quarter, somewhere around about there. He usually forges with like a two and a shade hammer. And that's his forge welding hammer. And the reason that he uses it is because it makes his brain, makes his brain go, it's forge welding time. Uh... He's softer and kinder and so on and so forth. So um, all in all, everything good. So all in all, it kind of helps you. So Jessica's forge welds. But the other thing that we did is every day we watched at lunchtime two or three or four episodes of Forge and Fire and then did... And we took notes. Yeah, took notes. Like, what oh, did they like? What did they not uh, What went wrong and how would we solve that problem? Yeah. And that I mean, we treated Forge and Fire like case study. a case study mm-hmm. and like a, like a job. Like how how would we do it if this were our, our job that we were being hired to do? Basically, we studied and did you practiced and... dull all your points and pull everything out of square in the shop to just prepare oh, for that? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, we did it all. I mean, it, it, like you'd have a banana, you know, intentionally bend knives and then try and straighten them up. And uh, so by the time we... I went on the show, I had made. A lot more knives yeah. okay. than my original yeah, one, too. We did, we did about a dozen each. Bit, like, and, big ones. Yeah. 
it's actually easier for me now to do like gigantic choppers than it is for me to do little yeah. knives because we practice making big so, knives so what we so designed was a knife that we called the hyena which is basically a slightly reflexed um buoy mm-hmm. with a real basic handle on it so it's a two set down handle we got that knife we could forge that knife shape in 45 minutes and 90 percent on the power hammer yeah we made a, a tool a yeah. power hammer tool mm-hmm. cool. Because we knew that they were going to let us bring a tool or two. Uh, so we, we brought that. Double-ended paddle, <laughs> which has a triangular isolator on one end and a, hemis- uh, a half-round bar yeah. on the other end, which you can, both of those can be used as set-downs. You can put bevels on with it. You can do it all. It Double-headed paddle sounded like you were getting back to your boarding school days. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny when, you know, when we showed up show and they had to look at the tools that we brought to see what <laughs> like, they were, what the hell they is were like what even is this we're like oh it's just a paddle it's really like how many tools in one is that thing it's yeah. it's like four i can cut with it i can you know it's like sorry it can slice it can dice it can you know. <laughs> it's the bassomatic 2000 <laughs> yeah. it'll yeah. even make french fries but you got to hit it just right yeah. <laughs> but you know they had no clue what when it we was. busted that thing out though and the judges saw it they were like oh <gasps> <gasps> cheater <laughs> no no they didn't say cheater they were like that is so awesome it, you know and they didn't show us using it on the on the edited so, version yeah. of the episode but the, it was hysterical the judges comments were like oh my and this is how you use a freaking power hammer <laughs> this is why you get smiths <laughs> and, and you know that was that was kind of one of those things because you know we were like okay when we go on the show i don't care if we don't pass the first round it's like let's show what blacksmiths can truly do yeah. And you know what? They go and give us literally a soda can sized block of steel, W2, never used W2. Actually, the only reason I've used W series steels is for making springs, right? Because you can water harden it. Um, so we've got this. Almost Don't said, say it. I almost <laughs> said the word. <laughs> um, this is the naughty word. The one, the one of the, of steel. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'll cover your ears. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's six inches, a two-inch round bar stock. Oh, okay, right? yeah, I know what you're doing. And so, you know, we've got this donkey of a thing, and, uh, you know, throw it in the fire. But we had practiced picking mystery meat off the shop floor, like an old piece of axle or something like that, yeah. throw it in the fire, okay, going to make it nice. Because we didn't know what the game was. Yeah. So we didn't know if they were going to, you know, we knew, we had figured out just by watching the show and taking notes that either they were going to give us a decent piece of steel to make something weird with, or they were going to give us some junk to make something simple with. So, you know, they, they're either like, make your signature blade out of a bag of nails, or it's make something that's not your signature blade, but we're going to give you something halfway decent. And were y'all just keeping some general heat treat data in the back of your mind so that Whatever got thrown no. your way, you were just going to... No, I mean, well, you, you just assume that... All they have is their oil. So you don't have an oil option. Yeah. They have their oil, which is... Based on the flaming that you get off it, it's either Chevron AAA or Parks <laughs> yeah. It's not canola oil, all right? So, yeah. And you don't temper it. They, they temper it overnight uh, between round one and round so, two. Sorry, spoiler alert. We just yeah, no, how the show works. You know? Yeah. But, well, and I had wondered because, I mean, yeah. 
you got to have a pretty solid, at least bracket of temperatures for your hardening process. So all you can do is harden it. And, Mm. and because we, do you get to give them the temp or do you just hand it over? Oh, with the tempering? Yeah, Yeah. no, they do it. They do it. Yeah. 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 And you just have to trust that they're going to so choose the, the best master, option. Yeah, yeah, the master bladesmith in the panel is the one that picks the temper for you. I think. We yeah. believe. We think yeah. that's yeah. how it works. Somebody who knows better can chime in, but that's yeah. what we think. Happens. Yeah, and you're just hoping that that lines up with the heat treat temp yeah. you used. Yeah. But the, the knife yeah, that they... I mean, it's really fooey. Yeah. The knife that they ended up having no. us make, I won't tell you what, what it is because you said you didn't want to spoil what we actually made, but it, it was... It was it, they couldn't have picked a better knife for us as both a challenge and just something that we could do because we're blacksmiths. Yeah. All right. So you've been training like montage. <laughs> I have the tigers playing in the background, <laughs> cutaway scenes. Up and down the you've tied your bandanas around. <laughs> you get to the show and they hand you this, this donkey of W2. Yeah. Um, you've kind of got the heat treat swagged. Yeah, you know, our, our theory on it is bring it up to crystal, mm. quench it, run a file on it. Maybe it'll be hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what, uh, what, what was the shape? What was the blade? What was the... A trench knife, but not your classic style. Not like a brass knuckles oh, trench. No, it, the 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 finger holes had to be integral. Yeah. So it all had to be one piece: the handle, the knuckles, and oh, the yeah. blade itself. Um. And it was one, and you were splitting the labor between the two of yeah, you. Yeah. So that was, so that turned out to be what the game was: is that we would take turns every thirty, 30 minutes. minutes. Yeah. But the the joke was that the, the apprentice got more time than the master did. So, so I had to start every round and end every round. So you didn't have a chance to, to touch up? No. When Jessica was yes. done, so Jessica was done. I had yeah. to break down that steel. Um, and, but we, you know, we... We ended up doing really well. So what, what we did is because it was such a big piece of steel, and we didn't talk this through ahead of time, but because it was such a big piece of steel, it took a while to heat up. And so we got to chat a little bit during the heating. And so what we what we decided to do was essentially end, ask the other person where they wanted us to try to end for uh, and, and this is what is was really beneficial of truly working together every day under high stress environment, making stuff, putting out fires, keeping students in orders, working on projects together. We communicate. Yeah. So, you know, for that first 30 minutes, my job was just to get that steel broken down. What are you looking at? What's that? Oh, I think it was a hole. I thought you had a tick on your shoulder. <laughs> I was like, it's a freaking tick. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah, so, so my job was just to break down that steel. And so I had a lot of waiting, waiting for the power hammer to free up, waiting for the steel to heat up. And so what I did is I got our station set up 
So Mark couldn't do anything. Yeah, I just had to. He couldn't touch anything. But you, you know, he's right-handed. He likes his tongs over here. I knew what tongs he was going to need. I knew what hand tools he might need. Also, I wanted to give him a, a work surface. So they make you, they have you design at the design table. And on a piece of paper. Uh, of paper. Yeah, and you usually chalk it in on your anvil, and don't you? so I cleared off this. They had this little work table, but it was covered in stuff. I don't even remember what was on there, but it was covered in stuff. So I cleared it off completely, and I drew our our design. And when we did our design, this was another thing they didn't show on the show, but we went ahead and did the preformer for the design, too, what we knew the preformer was going to okay. have to be. Because of... What I do, which is the mathematical side. So uh, I drew, I redrew all of that onto the metal metal table, and then I drew my hand. I put a big glove on and I drew the outline of my hand on the table so that we would know the spacing for the holes. And I drew a ruler. Because Um, how many people have made a blade too big or too small? Yeah. And so I just really got everything set up. Jessica basically did all the layout that anyone would ever need to be able to make the thing. What she didn't tell you was after we got shown what the project is, you then have to go back in the green room and sign um, a waiver saying that you have understood the parameters that they have given you, understanding that you're going to make the thing, blah, blah, blah. And then when they brought us back in, the judges suddenly appear. Up until that point, we never met the judges. And we got, you know, five minutes meet and greet with the judges. Well, this clever individual. I and think this we, can, is, we can tell this now, right? Yeah, We're not yeah. going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it was such a kind of sneaky thing yeah. for me to do. Dave Baker, if you're listening. <laughs> I've been wanting to tell you this. For like, a there's time. we've got like six <laughs> listeners, and yeah, yeah. two of them are Kyle's and I's wife, so it's pretty <laughs> unlikely. But so, in our notes from watching the show, one thing that we kept writing over and over again was essentially Dave Baker does not like handles. He doesn't like square handles. He doesn't oh, yeah. like round handles. He doesn't like Which thin handles. He doesn't he like likes, thick handles. He likes, he likes a good, He's, comfortable He handle. likes perfectly contoured. He's the Goldilocks, and this is what we call him, he's the Goldilocks of knife handles. Love you, Dave Baker. There's nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no. Um, So we knew that we whatever we made, we were going to have to make it for him as far as the handle is concerned. <laughs> Hi, good to meet you. Bingo. Uh, what size ring do you wear? <laughs> no, that's what I did. He went to shake my hand, and I did one of those full-on, like, stubble, stubble <laughs> hand. Like, like, oh, what you wear, uh, about a 12 and a half? <laughs> you know, I, I, I got a really good grip, and then I put my other hand on the back side of his hand, and I just kind of rubbed, and it's like, it's so good to meet you. Oh, man, da 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 da, da. And then I, I made sure he was the last judge that I met so I had like the feeling of his hand in my hand and I was like Mark Mark so I'm over there trying to get all my tools sorted out Jessica's come, comes running over and she's this like, shape she's like this is the shape Mark Mark hold out your hand hold out your hand and I'm like what are you doing you weirdo this is not the time to do this she's like no shut up and hold out your hand so I put my hand out she grabs a hold of me starts molesting me and I'm like what are you doing, dude? What are you I'm doing? not a judge. I'm like, what are you doing? This is so weird. And she goes, your hand 
with a thin leather glove. I don't know what you're talking uh, about right now. The Smurf walks backwards at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> but that at the end that of the was day, Dave Baker's hand. That was brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, and see? you know what? I don't Dave know Baker really liked our handle. Yeah. And that's all it was for? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, a, I mean, coming out of Andy's shop, you know, it, People really underappreciate the importance of a handle. Um, I know we're going to take a little bit of a tangent, but it's just a pet peeve of mine Ooh. that you put all of this time, it, putting all of this time into balance and shape, and then you slap some blocky thing. I mean, it's, it's like yeah. it's like building a Ferrari and then putting a square steering wheel in. Yeah. So here's, here's my argument on design. Speak to anybody who cooks or, you know, even at, at home, just like they have that one knife that they go to 99% of the time. And it could be a Walmart knife, whatever. It could be blunt as old ghetto, but they pick it because the handle is awesome. They don't care about the business end, which we're all worried about. So when you make a knife, why are you not paying attention to the only thing that you're connected with. It should be a joy. It should be a joy to hold in your hand and use. It should feel like an extension of your own body when you're using it. It should even put you in the right position for the use. Yeah. And it's the, I mean, it's how you interact with the blade. Yeah. I, it's, it would be like not being able to speak a language. Yeah. 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 So, with you. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> so fire, that's. That was the, the secret, so trench knife. The secret thing that we did yeah. that I did on Fortune and, Fire. And now you know, know they gave you six <laughs> pounds of steel where really only you only needed like a few ounces. Yeah. Oh. So yeah. And so the reason the trench knife was such a great shape for us as blacksmiths is because it's just punching holes, punching and drifting. Yeah. Jessica goes, So what what do we do here? I'm like, Well, the blade is the blade that we've been practicing. It's a little smaller than what we've been practicing. You know, we've been practicing 12, 14 inch blades, crazy stuff. And I think we had to make like 10 inch blades, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then she goes, what about the back end? I said, it's four bottle openers. Like I said. We teach bottle opener class to absolute That's novices. Awesome. Yeah. It's four bottle openers. We can do this all day long. Yeah. Now, they didn't have, they didn't have the, the drifts and stuff that we have, but they had a punch, they had a punch set and they had a horn. It, yeah. And, and I've, it, yeah. I've it talked works. to a lot of people that they are, they're like, nothing is square, nothing is sharp. No. They don't have the type that you use at your shop. Yeah. I think, didn't we even punch the holes? Yeah, we, we punched. punched the holes No, in the handle for the corbies. Yeah, we didn't use the drill. We didn't use the drill press. Except for, you know, the, with the wood, you know, yeah. we drilled the wood. But in the, in the forged piece, because that's what we practiced yeah. in the shop, too, because we didn't want to have to worry about whether our knife was too hard to drill a hole. We're like, that's stupid. That's a waste of time to have to worry about that. And then finding the right drill bit and then maybe breaking it. Like, yeah, you start with a kneel. Bar stock like a civilized person. Our thought was if they had punches there, yep. then we would just use a punch. Yeah. And I and Mark's like I said, well, what if they, they don't have punches? Mark's like, well, we'll just use a little bit of whatever steel because yeah, we'll chop a bit off and yeah. make a punch. It's not a big deal. Yeah, punches three heats. We're good to go. Um, and back to being a smith that's just <laughs> making a tool. Right. Yeah, um, and. Like, and not that the other teams didn't know how to punch holes, because I'm sure the farriers, the farriers yeah, they, they punched 
They, they punch holes yeah. all the time. But I don't think that they did that on theirs. They didn't punch their holes on their knife. We, I think we were the only ones that punched and drifted. Um, I, thought, I thought John and Casey did. Did they? Pretty sure they did. I, I can see people go back and look at kind of halfway. If you're in a modern shop, you tend to see modern solutions. So I yeah. can see even people that have the technique, their mindset is drill press. When you need a hole, you drill a hole. Drill a hole yeah. yeah. And, and we, we just looked up, and those are all things, problems that we'd already solved before we got to the show. And that's, you know, that's the same with anything, right? You train anything is because when you get on that show, your vision goes from being, you know, nice and wide, you know, like 190 degrees kind of thing. And it goes. Yeah. But because we already knew how to make the knife, because we practiced it a billion times, all we had to really worry about was how to do the holes. Which you've done a billion times. Well, there's definitely a challenge in putting them them side by side because they as one squish it as one stretches the other one squishes yeah, you don't want to deform create a and deformity then of course, like the stretching of those holes causes the back line of the spine to bow yeah. so you have to mm. you're fighting with that the whole time yeah. so there were definitely some challenges within it but we didn't have to worry about what we were doing with the knife itself when I'm doing customs, I do it. I spend it at least as much time, if not more time, on the handle than I do the knife. I mean, when, the, whenever, the blade, rather. Whenever we forge knives, we forge the handle first. Everybody else that I know forges blade first, handle. I always do the handle first because the handle literally sets up the mechanics yeah. for the blade. Yeah. If you, why are you doing the handle as an afterthought? That's just crazy. Right? And that's why you start seeing knives that are disjointed. You know, you, know, you cover the blade, and you look at the handle, you're like, man, that's a sexy-looking handle. Feels good, great. Have a look at the blade, beautiful blade. Put the two together, even now I've got a nag's ass. Yeah. You know, it's not a look, good-looking thing. That's, that's a good point, and I, I work from a different perspective. I, I R&D a pattern, so by the time I go into the making it, all of that is already done. Yeah, sure, um, sure, sure. But that's a that's an excellent point. Um, it's the blade's the blade. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, it's just a pokey thing with a sharp bit on one side, I or maybe two. I had not thought about that, but that's a yeah. great. And the cant of your handle is you just follow that out yeah. for your blade, etc. Yeah, et yeah. yeah mm -hmm. no, that's and you know if you've got a handle and it's kicked up like this and it doesn't do the choppy thing. Yeah, or you know if it's too low. When you strike, and this, these are things that we played around when we were testing our blades, because not only did we make them, we had a 55-gallon drum, and we had rope, and we had, and oh, actually, we had the loose dog bones, and, and we were chopping and stabbing everything we could get a hold that of. That 55-gallon drum never saw it coming. <laughs> <laughs> we was, I mean, it, it was our uh, scrap metal drum. It had, like, little giblets in it. That thing was like a colander by the time we were done with it. It was, it was really fun. It was, <laughs> we got we got to the point that we figured out edge geometry. We could chop through the steel reinforcing wire in the rim of the drum, the rolled rim of the drum, yeah. and take no deformation. Yeah. That's it was pretty. Doing all of that was really it was fun. fun. It yeah. was really fun. We, we learned fun. so much about edge geometry and physical mass behind edge and all that kind of stuff. And unless you've done that, you're never going to know. Yeah, you know. 
How many people actually do that? Well, and switching disciplines too. Um, if you've been making heavy choppers and you go to thin cutters, you've been making thin cutters coming back to heavy choppers, yeah. trying to switch the disciplines, you're changing, you know, mass behind the edge, the edge geometry. Yeah. I mean, it's really, you're starting all over. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like we were sitting in the green room in between and we're, you know, everyone's just chatting. There's eight of us in there. We're all, we're all a bunch of weirdos that do this really peculiar thing called blacksmithing and knife making, right? So we've got farriers, we've got, you know, guys that work on uh, power plants as welders and you know we've got these young lads that you know do yeah, cosplay yeah, and cosplay, armor yeah. and stuff like that and you know we're just sitting and joe joe just asked me kind of out of, out of the blue he goes do you actually measure your edge thickness as you're forging and grinding i was like oh, man, I, I really don't because you might want to think about it i was like yeah he said you know and we started talking numbers and he goes you know like I don't know how thin you can forge, but, you know, if you can forge down to a good thickness, so you don't have to take too much off. And then if you're grinding, you're down in like, you know, for something choppy, if you're in like the 20 thou, 25 thou range, you know, that's pretty good to make a, a good chopper. I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's kind of cool. And he says, yeah, normally I'm down in like the 10 thou, somewhere around about there for a kitchen knife or something. So when we got back to our shop and we're into final round, we had the sheet metal gauge. And I actually started measuring stuff. Yeah. Because I did it all by eye. I didn't. Yeah. And it turns out that I was already grinding to about those similar to- tolerances. Uh, I, Final round was. I, think so. I never really measured edges until I started working with production. Yeah. And, you know, about, they, no, they don't want to hear this is how, this is. Give me a number. Yeah. And yeah. this is where it is. And this is where it is. And it tumbles. And I had never, and I, sounds like the same thing you did. I went back and I looked at the one. I'm like, that's about right. Yeah, and this one was Oh, that's really what right. it is. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a worker, yeah. Yeah, because I, I had just, the, uh, the thickness of a, a sharp pencil line was, yeah, I knew that's where my primary grind stopped. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, those, those things, data, and, you know, this is where I get really obsessed. I'm obsessed with data and process. Because if you haven't got data and process, how are you ever going to make the same thing twice? Yeah. And, you know, even when you're prototyping, you know, as, as people who prototype for classes and prototype for production, as you're prototyping, you know, you've got your, your drawing in what I do. So I have my steel ruler that's always in my sparring, right? As my steel ruler, I lay it out on the anvil. I put the tools that I'm using behind me, or behind the object that I'm working, and I write with a silver pencil on the steel. This is my starting material. This is what it is, thickness, so on and so on. These are my notable marks. This is where I'm going to do an isolation. And after each heat or each step, photograph it again. What's the data? What's the adjustment? Because I can then go to a student, okay, you want to make a four and a quarter inch handle. I know that you need three inches of one and a half by quarter. They've got a slightly longer hand. All right, let's add an extra quarter of an inch. That's going to give you a little bit more length. Well, and if you've measured and photographed the steps, you've also taught yourself, ooh, that's a little long. We're going to need to pull it out. We're going to need to push it in. Push it in, in, yeah. Because because three steps from now, that's going to be off. And when you get to the end of your thing and you're like, oh, man, this knife handle was awesome. Blade wound out too long. What was my starting material length on my 
on my blade, then I'm going to, on my next one, I'm going to chop off half an inch. I then copy all the steps exactly the same up until that point, do the fooey bit again. Did it give me the correct outcome? When I've got the correct outcome, those are the pictures I keep. Oh, and I get bad too about as my skills got better, I could fix issues as they came up. Yeah. So I got lazy and quit trying to change the process to prevent the issue. I would just fix it when it came <laughs> up, um, which was poor workmanship on my side, but it became a complete failure when I tried to teach people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you can't teach sloppy. No. You've got to teach the mechanics and you've got to teach the logic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. a little weird aside. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, what, are we, what are we talking about? about? Uh, we're about to go back to you had done your trench knife. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you won first round and then you were going to go back to. We succeeded to get through first. Oh, sorry. Yeah. First. Yeah. I wouldn't say we won it. You um, weren't eliminated. So I call that a win. Yeah. So they were happy that they could actually get the fingers in they liked how finished it was because we uh, got a lot of the grinding done. Yeah, holes don't count if you can't get your fingers in. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. Some of them were like... <laughs> <laughs> I think we were the only team where they could put their fingers in all the way. That, that feels like a defining characteristic. Yeah. 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 Uh, our We did most of... We did all of the did rough the, grind. Uh, oh, we had done all the rough grind. Yeah, yeah. I know we've done peripheral. Have we done the side? Yeah, yeah, we've done the science as well. Yeah, yeah. We, did all, we had got all of the rough grinding finished before quench. And that's because... Oh, we, no, no, no. You got some of the rough grinding done, and then you quenched it, and then you did more grinding, I yeah, think. Yeah. While it was hot. It was still kind of warm. <laughs> I, I was grinding. I was actually I finishing that. roughing my bevels, and I had a pair of tongs bucking it <laughs> on the backside. <laughs> so they liked how complete our knife was, because some of them weren't. Um, we did have some, like, I'm going to call them anomalies. Anomalies. They called them cracks on the show. I challenged that. I, I really would love to see that knife again. Um, so I'm, I managed to replicate that error. Oh, yeah? Yeah, one time. So I might not have told you this. So, um... Oh, it turns out it was your fault. <laughs> so, it's all about um, the steel. It's all about the steel. About the steel. Yeah. So um, we had like a crazing in the side mm. of the steel on the W2. Right? Yeah. Like, have you ever seen crackle glazers? On yeah, I, I understood yeah. crazing. Yeah. Yeah, where it's it's surface yeah. and it's the, the kind of spider web cracks. Yeah, yeah. 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 So after heat shoot, we had that. Well, I... I've been trying to replicate that for years. And a few years ago, it was when I was, I think it was when I was at John C. I was mucking around using the paddle. And I can't remember what steel it was. It was something I don't usually use. And I managed to replicate it. And what I think it is, it's the paddle chilling the steel and then squishing the steel. Uh, and it's that very and it's almost, thin layer that hardens. Yeah. And then it, Crazes because we did a lot of that breakdown on the press with the paddle mm. and on the power hammer with the paddle. Yeah, that was pretty, it was a pretty interesting little anomaly. We weren't worried about it structurally yeah. because it clearly didn't go all the way through the steel, but what mm. we were worried about was whether we'd get eliminated for it yeah. because 
they pretty much always eliminate you if there's cracks and there's no way to say these aren't yeah. real cracks. I mean, I would place the argument that it doesn't, it has negligible depth. Therefore it's not a crack. Well, it is an it is an artistic yeah. choice. <laughs> I just put a bandaid on it. It's what the steel wanted to be. Well, luckily they took a gamble that it wasn't going to explode, and they kept us in the show. Yeah, and was, it didn't explode. Although they did put safety glasses on when and, they tested ours. Yeah. So they, they put a little glass screen in front of the and everybody backed up because that blow was going to blow. I didn't. think that the theory. From the producers, because it's always the producers who have the last say. Well, and they want the drama. Well, it, it was either, they probably thought either it's going to be fine and we're going to get this awesome team going through to the to the second round, or it's going to explode, which is going to be great for TV. So either way, win-win, win, yeah. either way. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the whole glasses and blast you it gets they get to build the drama so regardless of what happens they got the oh, yeah, you we came were, back from the bathroom oh we were terrified though because yeah. we also was this point, <laughs> at this point we had like no sleep and we were yeah. just we were so stressed out about it we're like we don't know how that even happened oh my god well and <laughs> the test is always shit you shouldn't be doing with a knife anyway yeah, yeah. which always makes me nervous i'm like as a knife, I know I did well. But seeing what this guy is doing, that is, that's you know, not... They shanked a jerry can, like a metal gas can. They stabbed the heck out of the thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't even remember what they did. They did it that. It was that and then the, the fire yeah, hose, fire which was hysterical. Yeah. The fire hose cutting was hysterical. So we were always the last people. We were like position number four. So everybody went before us. And Jessica and I the whole time were like, that thing did. I don't know if my thing will do. Yeah. I'm not made things to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> Here on television, they're going to find out my things don't do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so they, uh, the sharpness test, I guess, was like some fire hose that had been pulled taut. Which is surprisingly difficult to cut. Yeah. Because yeah. it's Kevlar, right? Rubber and Kevlar? Um. I don't know. I don't know if all of them have Kevlar, but the rubber is. I mean, it is. It's a fairly tough. yeah heavy denier it's dinar. Tough. It's got to be yeah. tough to hold up to those kind of wire pressures. Yeah. and the outside is abrasion resistant. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, so it was Dave Baker who got to do that test, and you know when you go to swing a knife through a rope or a twig or whatever you're cutting you you expect some resistance and you plan for that in your mechanics your body mechanics uh there was no resistance so he'd already gone through (laughs) so the uh he was expecting to have to lean into it and it ran away from him yeah so he'd done the first one which was the girls and they cut through it but you know you could see that he had to walk into it pretty hard then it was Joan Casey who on their HEPK guys, they're the um, Ed Fowler's. Oh, okay. So he, they study, and one of them's a master under the HEPK, and the other one's a, a journeyman under the HEPK. So both fabulous knife makers. And there's I'm the, sorry, could you say H one more time? H. Okay, thank you. H. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, there's hit, and there's cut through amazingly. I was like, yeah. Yes. 
dude, that yeah. cut so well. You know, it was, it was really very cool. <clears throat> yeah, it was. There, uh, but, yeah, he just, he. I think he was expecting some more resistance than there was. And he, it was like watching somebody think there's an extra stare. <laughs> and then he giggled like a little boy because he was so, like, Tickled by it. It did what it's supposed to do well. And it made us really happy. It it was amazing (laughs) because I'd never, I'd never compared, you know, our stuff against anybody else's stuff. I I don't know what that benchmark is. I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. It was, it was fun doing that. Yeah. That whole show. And then, and he was comfortable. He was happy that he could hold on to the he handle. Did. It he was, was, was exactly, it was Mark's hand plus a thin glove. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly measured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To Jessica's in like a welding gauntlet. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting one. So that, the, the first and second rounds, the way we did it, the way we did it is we split the tasks. Well, in the first round, we couldn't really split the tasks because it was just forging. We just had to forge and we'd get to a place. But in the second round, we decided that Mark was going to deal with the blade and I was going to deal with the handle. So when it was my 30 minutes, I did all, you know, I was grinding the handle. I was reaming out the holes. I was doing the glue up. I was doing the handle shaping. And then when it was Mark's 30 minutes, he was doing the, the blade grinding. So that's how we split that up. Um, and Mark told me to make it feel like a kitten glove. And I think yeah. I succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was amazing. Yeah. You literally slid your hands into that thing and it was just like sliding your fingers into silk. That smooth, well polished. It was lovely, lovely. Yeah. Um, and I think at one point, was that right at the end? Was Did I have the last session on that one? Because I'd sharpened it and I'd had it all wrapped up in towels and I was like hand sanding or something. And I think it was like the countdown right at the end. And I'm just like doing some little hand sanding. I'm holding on to it. I've got like six layers of shop towel and masking tape and all the rest of it. And, you know, they're like just getting like two minutes remaining. And I'm like, I got it. And apparently I squoze marginally too tight. It cut through the towels and I felt it touch my hand. And I was like, I quit, other than to mask the blades to protect them from scratches, I quit doing that for that very reason. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a better chance of knowing how much pressure without the, because yeah. I may have squeezed through and cut myself. Yeah. And, you know, it was just a little niche. I was like, whoa, that was really close. It's a warning. But, you know, we got to use a sharpening technique that we hadn't used before. So they provide you with belts, right? So you're like, I don't know what kind of belts I'm going to get. And uh, I'm a smith. I don't use belts. Well, they only went up to, what, a 220 grip, if I remember rightly. Something like that. How do you set an edge with a 220? We use micron belts to finish our edge Yeah, on the machine, you know? But what they did have was a felt belt with polishing rouge. So was it like red or... Um, I can't remember the color of the rouge. Yeah, it might have been just like a red rouge or it might be a white or a green or whatever. And uh, buffing that edge, I think that's why it cut so well. 
that thing was scary sharp. So when we're going back, once we've had the reveal and we're traveling back. For our final round. Yeah, back to our own shop. We've got like a day. Was it a day? We have less than 24 hours. To get back from New York. Yeah. So we oh, I, did, I forgot that they film up in New York. Yeah. yeah so we, we had our travel day. And then the very next morning, we had time to starts. start the next round. Yeah. So, I think, so we didn't really have a lot of time to get the shop ready. And they do that on purpose, of course. Yeah. But some people get six months. Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, we didn't. We yeah. got like six was, hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, they need to make it challenging for you. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And it was the middle of summer. Um, it turns out that Joe and myself were born on exactly the same day, exactly the same year. Which was hilarious. That's right. You guys had your birthday on the show. It was just that's borderline creepy. Just before I know it was the, literally that week, like the day before we traveled was my birthday. That's right. So and we were just like, oh yeah, I just had my birthday, and Joe's like, oh yeah, I just had mine. I'm like, what date? He goes third of August. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I'm like, what year are you? He goes seventy five. I'm like, what? So yeah, it's pretty yeah, funny. Seventy five, you whippersnapper. Uh, so anyway, that was that was a thing. Um, but yeah, on the way back, I was like, I want one of those felt belts. And finally found somebody, and they shipped us felt belts. I think you said there's like two or three of them. Not overnight, but like pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. <laughs> so that it arrived for us, because I think we flew back on like a Saturday or a Sunday or something. But it ar- arrived just before... We needed to sharpen the blade. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, let me tell you something. Sharpening a sword that is... Yeah, I, for know. those that weren't li- uh, that haven't seen the episode, what was the what was the blade that you made for the finals? Chinese Dao. And that's what about it? Two and a half, three foot blade? It's, I think total length had to be like 40 inches or something with the handle. Right. So it's, it's a over two foot blade. Yeah. And they spec that at the back end it had to be like inch and a half, inch and a half, and at the front end like three minimum inches. three inches. And it had to have a certain length of a false edge, yeah, like nine nine to twelve inches false edge. And it had to have a ring pommel, yeah, mm-hmm. and a guard, yeah, disc guard ring pommel. Um, we designed oh, no. it essentially on the plane on yeah. our way home. Um. I had this genius idea of using a scrap piece of bronze. So if you look at Mark's belt buckle, mm-hmm. I was like, Mark, do you have any more of those? Because that would make an epic guard and have it inside out so that, and dish it so yeah. that the pattern was on the inside. So I wanted it to look like a woman in a black evening gown. With just the tiniest, simplest, elegant little bit of jewelry. I, I was going to go with just a hint of lace, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just just that little bit of bling, yeah. yep. and that was it. And yeah, it and I really think we pulled it off. That. I think we pulled it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was yeah. good looking blade. Yeah, it was. But trying to sh- felt belt sharpen a two and a half, three foot blade, three uh, I mean, yeah, it has like to be at a, least three bl- three yeah. feet. You're like, and we actually sharpened the false edge on the back as well, because yeah. I didn't know whether 
it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How false an edge did they want? Twelve inches of you know nine to twelve inches of false edge up on the back end, which was razor sharp. And then I was doing yeah. So where where's your your yeah, front anchoring point? So I just so happened to have a sheet of chainmail in the shop. And I, as one as does, one does. Yeah, yeah, you don't have a sheet. Do you don't have a sheet. What's wrong with you? Do you just do yourself a smith? <laughs> so I actually put my chainmail underneath my leather apron because you know those those grinder belts they run at about seventy miles an hour. Yeah, and you're holding this here; it snags and it does that number. Your legs coming off. You know, yeah, the femoral artery is a real thing. I think the whole leg. I, I think you cut through the I bone. I mean, you, you saw what it did to that pig. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It cut through ribs, man, and through the spine. I'm, you know, spoiler alert. It's about time for me to get a new apron. I want to look at a Kevlar. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like just. Metal. <laughs> um, how much flex was in the blade? Oh, huge. We've got a remake of it down in the shop. And the yeah. remake is thicker than the yeah. remake of them. It was very light. It was Ooh. two pounds. A long blade is hard enough to sharpen, but oh. if you have to start accounting for it wanting to wrap around the platen. So as you're grinding that thing, yeah. you could feel it. Move. It would actually pull out a true. So like yeah. when you're making a big kitchen knife and you take a pass and you're like, oh, that thing just pulled across a quarter inch. You take a pass from the other side and it pulls the other way. That's literally what that blade was doing. So you're pulling through and it's going. And you, it's, you feel it running away from you. Yeah. Plus, you know, you're counter flexing it because the. So it doesn't. Yeah, so it doesn't wrap around the plan. Uh, it was a mess. And yeah, yeah, I was actually grinding most of it at kind of like a, almost like a. You know, a high angle, so you're kind of pulling across the platen, so you've got six, eight inches of contact across that platen, because, you know, you're doing that upward pull. Yeah. It's the only way to deal with it. Well, yeah, and you're maximizing the contact, so you're, yeah. you're minimizing the number of passes you got to make. Yeah, the way it worked out is so they gave us 45, 45 hours. 45 hours? Yeah. So the first day was five hours and then each consecutive day was 10 hours so it was five days total mm -hmm. and again we made the apprentice start and finish so i had to forge the sword yeah just forged it no pressure yeah. in five hours oh wow right having never done this shape before so we sat i don't down. know if i could stock removal a sword in five <laughs> hours yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. That's... <laughs> it was a lot. But, you know, what we, we did what we did. We did what we always do is uh, we designed what the preformer was going to have to be. And I forged the preformer, and then all I had to do was bevel it, and I used our beautiful paddle that we made. <laughs> and, uh, and the Cheetomatic 5000. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, the preformer made the shape that it was supposed to make. Imagine that. <laughs> witchcraft. I know. Totally witchcraft. And so, yeah, it was difficult, but it wasn't, it was more challenging because of the length of it. Yeah. Because, you know, you can only get, you know, what, what are we looking at? Like six inches, six inches hot at a time. Yeah. And then. Well, and as you're, I would assume as you're drawing it out, trying to be consistent, especially yeah. if you're doing it in six inch increments to keep from getting ripples yeah that part was tricky 
Um, you know, and also it, it, you're just dealing with the mass and the flop. And you know, you're heating up here, you pull it out, and it goes. Whoa. So you got to yeah. carry it to the power oh. hammer with yeah. two pairs yeah. of tongs. And so you yeah, forge I was with two pairs forging of tongs. with two pairs of tongs, and I had my yeah, it was. I didn't even whole, think about that. It's a whole lot of weird. It's a whole lot of weird. Stock removal. <laughs> never, never got out of this problem. <laughs> well, hey, if it's if it's hot, your spine, your spine and edge, you never have to worry about yeah. rotating over and dealing with pl- a plasticized metal. Yeah. Yeah, and we had to modify the, the the forge because if you put if you it was a lo- it was longer than the forges. We had two. We had an open side on either end of the forge as a pass through mm-hmm. style forge. But we had to like get some blocks so that yeah, we it, <gasps> so that it was a totally flat surface. What was hanging out on either side was still at the same so height. Yeah, height otherwise it, it would flop. Yeah, yeah so we banana. Had an eight foot table with fire breaks and steers and all. Just <laughs> you, so you've got problems. an in feed and out feed table yeah. for your forge. Yeah. And we, of course, we had to get all of that set up before they showed up to start filming. Oh yeah, so it wasn't on the clock. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we landed, went straight to the shop, organized the shop. Yeah. And then they showed up the next morning with the crew ready oh, to. Man, we but that's solid game planning solution. to figure out some of that stuff. We have a solution yeah. for our heat treat situation. Uh, that was so funny. Another Other genius ideas, though. We came up with some brilliant things. Yeah. The, the two boards, was yeah. that mine or yours? I don't remember. Uh, I think there might have been an episode where somebody did something like that. But either way, we wound up after quench on the blade. We had some like two by twelves, <laughs> and we had them up on the table. So we first of all, our heat treat oven's a two foot heat treat oven, okay, right? And we've got a thirty six inch piece of steel that we have to heat treat all the way into the handle. Now our sword is actually a hidden tang. No, it's a full it's tang. A full tang with a washer. Made to look like a hidden. Yeah, with a washer. With a threaded rod pressed in, with a ball screwed on, but the guard is soldered on on the front end with so many layers, but it's all hollow ground through the tank, so it's basically like an I beam. It's distal tapered also. I mean, we put all the stops into that thing. And you went blades, full retard. Yeah, and, and the blades. Well, it's still tapered. We tried Damascus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we, t- we totally oh, like. Man, it, it, don't get me started on that. Yeah, we don't yeah. have to go on that rant. But. But, and we, we said, we're going to make out of spring steel. Yeah. We use that spring steel all the time. We know how it behaves. We've got that heat treat dialed in so tight. You know, we're well, hitting I mean, 68 Rockwell C on that stuff. And modern steel is. Yeah. Production. Production-wise, modern homogeneous steel—they've just got it dialed in. Yeah. I mean, there was a place for pattern welding. Yeah, sure. And it, it is now on an aesthetic. Sure. But yeah, I would not have wanted to add that layer of difficulty. Yeah, why do that to yourself? So, so what we did with the heat treat oven—it was really funny—and that's why we have to talk. We we took the heat treat oven, which is a like a, a horizontal load yeah. heat treat oven. It's a double barrel paragon. Okay. Yeah. So we turned it up on end. We disabled the door alarm and took the door off. Because it stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The door's open. Yeah. And we got a bunch of fire brick and we built it up taller. And then we put the weed burner. Oh, no, no, no. It was the burner for the, um, for the crucible. Yeah, we the put crucible. the crucible burner in the top because uh, we wanted to make sure that the heat was somewhat even. 
And so then we have this like really crazy, tall, somewhat precarious heat treat Hybrid gas electric. <laughs> and so then uh, we, we were like, okay, so how are we going to do this? Let's practice how the, the heat treat's going to be. We didn't know which of us was going to do it. We hoped that it was going to be Mark. But we weren't Just, sure if nothing else for the vertical advantage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have, it's, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. I'm standing. Oh yeah. Go so on. we stood up, he, he, we had it so that Mark was standing up on the welding table. And then I had the, the two by 12 next to him. And we put an anvil of smallish a hundred pound yeah, anvil up there with him. And so it was going to be a and pull then, it out. And then those boxes of bronze. We had like three or That's four right. boxes of bronze at right. 50 pounds a piece. Because we didn't, you know, we didn't have clamps or anything. We wanted to be one person because I couldn't help him, remember? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we got that down there. We, yeah. how, how many times did you practice <laughs> oh, that? Like, pull it out, put it in the thing, well, throw the to, board over. Well, it had to go from the heat treat oven, pull out, without toppling the gigantic mountain of brick with a gas flame burning into it <laughs> right pull it out into the oil which is uh, an old oxygen tank mm-hmm. um you know oxy acetylene oxygen tank like 120 uh, pounder and then jiggle 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 lift it up when it's cool enough check it straight i can't remember if we've got a little fireball I, don't I think, can't remember. I don't think we did because i was very particular about i wanted to get it below the 600 yeah. degree nose so I'm like down, I was like, no flames, no flames, no flames. Pulled it out, checked it for straight. I'm like, no, it had a bend in it. Yeah, it had a walking bend. And I went, <laughs> I had welding gloves on. I was like, big bend into, out of it. I was like, okay, threw it in between the boards, stacked all that junk on top of it. And the whole time, I'm up on this table in my kilt. Right, and the videographer's like, like, whoa, steady on there, Tiger, don't get too low on me because otherwise, this will not be a PG program anymore. The videographer's over there vomiting, <laughs> and they were awesome, they were, they, fun. Were they were really fun. Um, yeah, and then we slapped the weights on the board, and we're like, let's go have a cup of tea. And we went on our lunch break, if I remember rightly, and we came back, and it was straight as an arrow. Yes. I guess it had like burned itself into the wood mm-hmm. and just had this perfect little pocket yeah. to live in. <laughs> and, and when we were normalizing, we did like four or five normalized cycles on it. The first normalized, remember this is the middle of August, right? It's 100 and Hades in Atlanta. I mean, it was hot as hell up in, yeah, uh, in Brooklyn while we were filming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and trying to get it to cool and still air when it's 130 degrees well, in the shop. Still air. We, made a mistake. we had the door open, right? And we, we've got a place to hang it up. That's why we usually hang up our belts on the steel rack. And we've got a fan running, you know, trying to vent out the shop, trying to keep it bearably cool in there. And uh, the first one, you know, we got it beautifully straight, you know, done our rough grind and, you know, all the rest of it. And we let it cool off. <laughs> Look at it. It swung out about four inches. Close all the doors. <laughs> Heated it up again. Sacrifice like, a chicken. <laughs> so, strained it up again, went back in. So I brought it back up to critical, straightened it back in, hung it up, and moved about an inch this time. Do another one, do another one. Strain it up. Yeah. Yeah, it was about four cycles. I basically burnt up half a day just yeah. normalizing the damn thing. So we stuck with our plan. Uh, so our second round, remember I said Mark did the blade and I did the handle. We stuck with that with 
the sword as well. Aside yeah. from me having to do the forging, um, Mark did all the grinding. But you clearly I had did. the curves, the finish. I mean, yeah. that's that's but, your wheelhouse. And I, that I thing did the handle, so and I did the balance on yeah. it and everything. So and the balance on that blade was all Jesse. It it balanced it two inches in front of the guard. It was amazing. You put your hand up against the guard, and it's just like. Uh, and it, what was it? Two pounds, wasn't it? it was two and pounds on kind of like a rapier grip. It's the the three fingers. No, it's yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah, yeah. And you, it just it was there. It was so well balanced. I wish you know that's probably. I hope it's sitting on some exact wall somewhere or other. That was really nice. Bro. Our the remake that we did is good, but it's a quarter it's, pound heavier. It's hard to it's it's hard to come back and recreate. It, yeah. Yeah, it, it was lightning in a bottle. It really yeah. was. Uh, and, you know, Jessica on her last day, she's doing all the final fit and finish on the pommel and she's like grinding down the pot. You know, it's 14, for us, it was 14 days straight from day one. And the, the last day is the punker day. Like, and, don't mess up. Don't mess up. We no. didn't have enough sleep either. Oh, yeah. yeah. We weren't getting you, nearly enough getting up sleep. at six in the morning, going to bed at 12 at night. Because you know? you're, you're on film crew schedule. And the sleep you're getting isn't deep, restful sleep. No, not at all. And, you know, I don't know if, if any of the listeners have understand what film crew schedule is, but it's madness. Uh, we've had a we've had a couple of listeners and a couple of other people that have been on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've I'm, just, film I'm just glad they don't do stock removal. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the last hour or so of my of my of the last day. I was so tired that I I couldn't hardly function anymore. Did you start hallucinating? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... It was horrible, and and it was on. It was all going to be on me, whether or not the sword got finished, and um, and I was having a problem fitting up the the pommel. The ring pommel, wasn't it? It wasn't the ring pommel. It was the nut. So. It was the nut. I couldn't get that. And, and the nut needs to be really, really flush because the nut was basically a washer, right? It was a spacer for that thread. And, and the, the ring pommel was actually was the nut, right? Okay. So that oh, piece. Right, the washer. It yeah. was the washer that I was And it was kind of like it's bifurcated at the back end. So it goes onto the tang, but up to the wood, right? but not putting so much pressure on the wood that you blow your glue joint. Right? Mm. And then at the same time, you've got to flush this so flat so that the bottom side of the ring, which has a little flat spot on it, mates up perfectly. And it's so even pressure. Even pressure, and the rotations are perfect to have everything facing in the right direction. Uh, All right? And yeah, so and the I thickness was, of the washer is going to be your control on that. Exactly. And the thickness of the washer is important well because if you take too much material off then you balance the yeah, it off. gets tiff heavy yeah and so i was struggling to get the the that point where the washer and the nut matched up i was struggling to get the basically i had to the bearing surface yeah so i was like a turn off right yeah Does that makes sense yeah and i just could not Get it. And the shot pixies kept flying oh, down yeah, and getting yeah. in your way. And, and of course that was getting me more flustered and I was so tired. So finally I said I said, Mark, you can't touch anything. And so I have to be the body 
Um, but you need to be my brain right now because I can't. That's a that was a solid think. solution. Though. We were allowed walk, to talk. Yeah, walk yeah. me through it. I was like, I can't think anymore. Like I'm, I'm so tired. I can't even think anymore. I can just do. And so he came to the grinder with me, and he says, "Okay, put your thumb here. Put this finger here. More pressure on the right side. Tip up this." this many degrees that was literally my puppet yeah and back to working together so closely that it's language that you two can understand like you know what a smidge is yeah exactly and we pulled it off with five minutes max no time to spare we used every minute I I think the last thing that you did was like hit it with a center punch to bear down on the uh, the thread so the yeah. pommel wouldn't unscrew, you know, and then yeah. with seconds to spare. And they're like, "Are you going to make it? Are you going to make it?" And you're like, "Shut up! <laughs> if I don't, I'm cutting you." <laughs> yeah. This thing's sharp right now, okay? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was intense. It was intense. That's then, you know. Then you travel back to New York <laughs> and you spend three days testing, yeah. uh, watching you know, your baby. Yeah. Your baby. And so we were supposed to have our blade shot with a bullet, right? And it split a bullet, yeah. but it was peeing it down. So instead, they had a backup test, which was a giant sheet of steel that they were going to slam the blade into. I'm like, oh, that's that's entirely different. Yeah. Well, they didn't tell us what the tests were, but, you know. Oh, I was about to say, because, I mean, yeah, the bullets got velocity, but it's yeah, it's soft. Yeah. 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 We only knew about the the shooting it thing because they kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then finally they were like, Yeah, we have to come up with an alternative test. We were gonna take it guys to the range. Yeah. But we can't now because it's an outdoor range. Oh man. It's just, it's just so few people man. who get that. Oh yeah. Right. You know? And I mean, how many times have you seen the the katana test where they do the two balloons and they... Yeah. I, mean, I don't think it shows you much about the knife. It shows you a lot about the marksmanship. Of it's, the, it's a cool, it's a cool show, right? Hey, you know, I, uh, I, I know where there's a private Will. range. <laughs> right. I think it was going to be Will. We could set up a bench. Yeah, bench resting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that cutting it through a sheet of steel test was horrible. Ooh, I don't know yeah. how thick that steel was. Probably... Probably like 20 gauges, 22 gauges. Yeah, probably wasn't that. crazy. <laughs> but we got, I don't know, 18 inches or so. Maybe. I don't know. I yeah. have to watch the show. Yeah, it, that's, it went a fair way into it. That's better than through a car door. Oh, God. If they'd done a car door, I'd probably have cried. Yeah. But, and it, you know, it, it was fascinating because they, they look at the blade and they're like, oh, there's this weird thing that's happened to the edge, Right. It's like the edge hasn't taken damage, but there's something happened here. And we got to actually look at it later. And Joe and Casey had exactly the same outcome on it. And they made a beautiful blade. They yeah. did. They're sort of really, really nice. nice. Really nice. Really sort. nice. You know, ours had a little bit more curve. Compaction? Or huh? what, what, what happened to the edge? So it literally, with the impact, it friction welded the steel plate to the edge of the blade. So you got a little bit of deposition. Yeah. Yeah. Actually welded on the edge. And it was almost like, you could see almost like the temper colors, like blues and purples on that steel, where obviously the friction had just 
That is kind of cool. That's hot. very cool. It's so kind of cool. Somehow or other, the steel was hard enough and tough enough not to take the defamation, and yet it withstood the impact in a manner that it actually caused it to deposit. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you have that much friction to get to that heat point without deforming the blade. Yeah. That's... Yeah, how did the blades not just snap in half or, you know, know, tack them sideways or something? Yeah, because that heat had to go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it... And you can see it when they hit it. It's like... No. <laughs> and I turned to Dad Abbott, who's the one that did the test. I'm like, how could you do that? And said, look, man, I've been on this thing twice before I was a judge. And they did horrible things to my yeah. So it's my duty. <laughs> I'm like, all right, fine. I well, think they're the only one that's allowed to. And I imagine there's also a little pucker of, I mean, if he takes a bad swing on this one, if he rolls his wrist just slightly, it's not my blade. Yeah. It was your technique, but it's still going to break. Yeah. So there's got to be the, a level of tense there, too. Yeah, I think that the, um, the only thing I, – I trusted the judges. Sorry. I trusted the judges pretty well on their technique. But uh, Doug, who usually does the test, he had a broken arm or something. Yeah. So it was his apprentice – Testing for him, so you had to trust. Oh, he had shoulder issues. That's right. He just had shoulder shoulder surgery. So you had to all you had to trust his his (laughs) apprentice also to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, all the time we're the last team to test. So it's Joe and Case. We're standing there. And it's like, I don't know how this thing's going to do. I'm just expecting our blade to explode. And like, yeah, I don't know, man. This is like crazy. <laughs> None of us have done this kind of stupid stuff. Yeah, well, that's you know, not, that's not knife stuff. Yeah. No. I guess we should also say we were totally rooting for Joe and Casey. Yeah. yeah. As much as we were rooting for ourselves. Yeah. They, they, they were, were so phenomenal. great. Phenomenal. <laughs> and they were really good at what they did. Yeah. They, they I, I guess this is where we, for those that haven't seen it, y'all won. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert! <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, truthfully, and you know when they're doing the interviews and stuff, they're like, "So, why do you think that you guys are going to win?" And it's like, I don't. <laughs> Seriously, Joe and Casey are awesome. They, these are guys that like legit make knives all the damn time. So you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I beat a professional knife maker. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. And, no. and that's the thing on the day. Yeah. I think that the reason ours won, honestly, I think the only reason ours beat theirs is because of the curve that we had in the blade. So we had a reflex deflex curve and theirs was pretty straight. And because of that little bit of friction well, um, when they did this, they chopped through these tube things. Like really skinny plastic tubes filled with water in a rack. Yeah, they're really like kind of brittle or something, but I think that what happened is because they they had such a straight blade, it got caught on that little piece and then just didn't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. And well, then because of the curve in ours, it was able to keep kind of cutting anyway. Well, and depending on where in the curve it hit, exactly. you get a mechanical advantage yeah. of that curve. It literally is yeah. leverage. Yeah. So, and, and that's truly what I think happened because, you know, it's a big draw. They're swinging at like two foot plus of these tubes. 
So, you know, they hit with Joan, Joan Casey's, it slices, 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 and I think it was like the last one or two. No, it broke. Well, I know they... sword broke a lot of those tubes rather oh, than the cut, cut it. Okay. Yeah. And if, with a f- flat blade, if you're not doing a pull cut, yeah, if, it's... If, you know, yeah, it's just like having a flat. Four, yeah. It's like having a flat edge on an axe. Yeah. If you're not if you're not drawing as you cut. Yeah. So yeah, it just it was this. just it came down to a design choice. Yeah. Really. And, and then when they pulled out the wild hog, we were all like, <laughs> "Dude, I've skinned animals. You know, and ball bristle is oh tough. yeah." And we're going cross grain on the ball. I was like, dude, my, that blade's just going to bounce off it. Yeah, it's that's, that's armor. It's going to annoy In my mind, I'm having that moment. You know that dude that hit the salmon and his sword just like bolts in the I'm thinking to myself, it's going to do that. It's going to do that. We're going to have the rubber sword. How, why, we're going to have the bloody rubber sword on a wild ball. And then Joe and Casey's, they hit Joe and Casey's and they cut that. It, you know, they, do, they did a. a Three different hits on it, and they cut it in half. Right? Did they cut? Did they, they cut it? They theirs was dangling by a little bit of skin at the end. Yeah, it could have cut. Yeah, in it, half it, it if it had struck in the right way. I think it could. Yeah. have cut, Yeah. And then they hit ours at the end of the second hit. All that was left was a little bit of belly meat. Yeah. And then it was like. Uh, boop. <laughs> that third strike was really half-hearted. It's well, like, it's like wow, that's ridiculous. Who knows? Well, that and, these things we make can do such. In a situation like that, that like the fine polished edge, mm-hmm. you're losing some of the drag. So you, I mean that it, it makes a difference, choices, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, know your steel. Like I, I was sharpening knives for uh, Ethan. Becker and you know they used 1095 Crovan and I started to go up to like a 1500 grit stone and he's like, what are you doing like I'm I'm polishing the edge this is and unfortunately the old man had to teach me something that that 1095 cuts better with a toothy edge at about a 600 grit yeah whereas the particle steel I use if was it yeah, and yeah. you can polish it up 2,000 grit, and the edge can roll, but it'll still cut leather because yeah. um, you just have so little drag. Yeah. Um, I, I think with, I mean, with big chops like that, especially something like boar, having such a finely polished edge, you're not getting drag. Yeah. You're not losing energy, and, and you can and follow through. Shape, yeah, the recurve. Flex, flex, you know, where you're basically you're striking in. And then you're flaring into that yeah, one section. Deeper. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason a scythe is, is curved. Yeah. yeah. It was horrifying, but it was very cool <laughs> to see a tool do what it was designed to do yeah. and do it so well. And uh, Kyle is giving me the, we've gone way too long. So he's going to have to edit this. Um but uh, I do. Three. <laughs> uh, there's something when we were talking about the classes that I wanted to touch on before we wrap up on a business side. Um, what did y'all have to do for insurance, liability, having other uh, people in the shop? We had a blacksmithing insurance policy with the Hartford. Oh. And it, that was through the old blacksmithing yeah. thing. Well, because the guilds were the ones that set it up. Well, they don't do that. 
<laughs> so now, now we're in the new location. We've got to figure all of that out all over again when we get back up open fully. I, I was looking and doing some small classes and... Waivers, 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 you know. Well, and I found it's like an underwriter that they can add to the insurance that is like a blanket teaching. Yeah. So I've basically got insurance as a metal worker. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a second layer that I get on With that it. covers, and it is literally a teaching insurance. Yeah. But it hurts. Oh, like it, it, yeah. it, it hurts. There's no fun with that. I was hoping y'all had a better answer. Mm-hmm. 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 There really just isn't. And, that, you know, that, that's the hard part because, you know, and then waivers, we had someone write up, a lawyer write up waivers for us. So, yeah. You know, but it, as the lawyer said, look, if someone's going to sue you, someone's going to sue you. If they've got deep pockets, they're going to win. If they... Well, you can't sign your right away, but if you get enough layers of protection, yeah. it's it's too much of a hassle. Like, yeah. Your LLC, we can break that. Yeah. Your waiver, we can break that. Your LLC, your waiver, and your insurance, no, we, yeah, well, gonna, we're not going to break that. The lawyer basically explained that if you aren't hiding what they're going to be doing, like if they, it has to be that they hurt themselves doing something that they weren't expecting to be doing. Or through negligence. Or through negligence. So we have to give tons of safety warnings. We have to make sure that we've got gear. And, you know, This is the spinning grinder of death. If you're coming and you have to make sure that they have the choice whether or not to do that thing, like, hey, look, these are grinders. This is what they do. They're scary. They'll play you, whatever. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. If you could be a big cho- sissy. Oh. <laughs> if you choose to use it, though, understand, understand that it can hurt you. And if it, if they're not doing something that they're, they weren't expecting to do, and then they hurt themselves, then it's kind of like, it would be hard for them to win that case. Yeah, now, you if they knew. were coming to a flower arranging class, and then we're like, hey, guess what? It's not flower arranging, it's knife making. Here, <laughs> use this grinder. You have to. You have to. And then they yeah. hurt themselves, and yeah, absolutely, they can sue us, and they, they would win. Sure. But. Uh, so, anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Probably, but yeah. it's okay. You'll, and you'll remember it at 2 o'clock in the morning? Well, you know, like... Kind of like the discussion maybe into our future. What what is the future of us right yes. now? You know, because uh, we very vaguely discussed the uh, you know post pandemic redevelopment of the property that we we're in. Uh, we got ousted. Yeah, it's and, being turned into yeah, condos. It's condos. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There's some apartments. Apparently, there's still going to be art studios, and but not, I believe but not your type but not of art. Dirty art. Yeah, yeah, dirty, noisy art studios. So um, we. Purchased a uh, piece of land uh, just outside of Douglasville, and um, we've built a workshop. And we actually now have a blacksmith license to have the blacksmith shop, uh, which means that we can make stuff. We cannot have public classes until we've done our ADA compliance. Now, maybe we could slide under the radar with a private class here and there, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the thing, but you know, obviously, don't be blatant. Yeah, ask about it. Um, 
but you know we are working towards getting in the ADA compliant bathroom and then the ADA compliant parking spot. And these are all things that we knew we had to do. You know, they were discussions that we had before. We it's did. the fiddly bits. Yeah. You're down to the fiddly bits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once that is done and we've been kind of signed off on, yes, you can now do this thing and you know this is your quota of humans that you can have through, we can now start doing public classes. And the long and short of it is we are never going to go back to six classes a week. Certainly not us teaching yeah. six classes a week. Yeah. I'm assuming not only was that a brutal schedule, but you got a little bit of a warning of having a single income stream. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it was something I always said is like everybody needs to have additional income streams. Yeah. But the thing is, we didn't have the time. Yeah. We, you know, we were all so consumed with that one function. Your days off, you were just like, oh, I can't even. Uh, well, and it's easy to. Because anyway, yeah. I was working another job. And it's easy to say that you should have multiple income streams. Yeah. But when this one is making me so much money. I mean, it wasn't like we weren't going to get rich off of it, but it was providing. Oh, you're makers. You'll never be rich. Yeah. It was yeah. providing. Well, now we're rich in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Knowledge is expensive. Yeah. Uh, but now we're, we're, you know, we're on a 60 acre property out here. And we can get weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do we do going into the future? Yeah, Jessica and I, we've been talking uh, since the move about transferring all the knowledge into digital format. And I think that's going to be a really big thing for our kind of upcoming year of trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, do like some like. subscription classes or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And having, you know, a big catalog of classes and being able to cross reference that information. Because when I tell, you know, when somebody goes to me, I need to get better at forging points, yeah. do your points, disciplines, quit mucking around, do your points, disciplines. And or somebody, spoons. Yeah. <laughs> points first. Points. I did a lot. Yeah. I did yeah. my no, first I'm just, points I'm throwing stones. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the points, they're so, so important. And then shapes on sticks. If I've got a little video on how to do those things and how to create mindful pursuits of building skill sets, anyone can make a thing once. That's called art, right? And I respect that. But now you have to make the same thing exactly the same 300 more times you've got to have a foundation you've got to have knowledge and you've got to have data yeah and you've got to have a way to manage that data well and more cost effective if you have some base knowledge and experience before you show up for the class yeah totally um, yeah. and then also you know you come and take a class from time to time but then if you have a setup at home then you can practice through our our future online classes yeah or, um, or even the idea of Somebody might have heard of us, but they're in Uzbekistan, yeah. right? And they can't come and take a physical class with us. Awesome. But we've got our catalog of classes. And it just happens to be dubbed in Uzbek. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's AI, right? So yeah. AI can do that for us. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we definitely Google need to be more digital. And we wanted, we wanted, we've been talking about writing a book for a long time. Yeah. And I think that we'll probably start doing that along with yeah. these classes is having, I, we kind of see these digital classes as the book. Yeah. I would love to have like QR codes within, within yeah. the, the book. That would so, be you know, brilliant. You've got, you know, how yeah. many times have you read a book on technical process 
You get to the end of it, you're like, I have no idea what that is. That was a lot of words. I got gobbled again. Or the pictures are from bad angles, and yeah. the thing you're trying to see is, yeah, yeah to be able to go, get to the end of the chapter and then or, have a video. Or even at the end of each step, there's a video where it's just that step, yeah. the next step, the next step, the next step, and then maybe at the bottom they have the full video. Because that way, I don't know about you, I don't learn like that. You know, I don't, I'm not a booklet. No, I can't. You know. Well, it's because we don't, can't yeah. read. So. <laughs> if you've got a funny T-shirt, I'm not going to read it. Sorry, I'm not going to laugh. That would be, like, really good for, like, my file workbook where you have, like, it show, like, you have a QR code and it'll take it to, like, a YouTube video yeah. where, like, doing that specific little, because I did, like, a couple progression picture shots and stuff in my book. Yeah. Maybe... One that said, uh, if life gives you melons and melons was written in yellow, then you might be dyslexic. And I thought that was funny. Right. And I had it for six months before I realized that melons was lemons misspelled. Yeah. (laughs) There's those signs. Esther's hilarious with this. She'd be like, hey, look at this. And she would show me a, you know, a signboard, which has got spelling issues with it. I'm like, I don't get it. (laughs) <laughs> I just I don't yeah. see it. I don't see it. Words are a whole pile of options, you know. You give me a spell check, you know, when you do the spell check thing, it gives you like six options for the words. And I can't written. tell which one. I don't know which one it is. I have to break out the thesaurus to figure out which one's which. 45 minutes later, I've figured out which there it is. <laughs> Beth doesn't understand why it takes me 45 minutes to read it. I'm like, so I find all the things that are wrong, and then I look up the definition of each of my spelling word options. Yeah. Sorry, Kyle, a little dyslexic, uh, <laughs> simpatico that we don't usually get. I didn't mean to cut you off talking about your book. Oh, I, I know about your dyslexic issues in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle gets the special, special pleasure of... Uh, yeah. I have to do that. It's, it's really awesome when it's just like the spell check's just like, no clue, you're on your own. How do you think we feel? <laughs> Mark misspells something, but he misspells it to a word that's a real word. And and then I like to think of think that he did it on purpose. It's like sometimes he'll write heart um, as opposed to like your he means to say beating like your heart, your heartbeat. But he spells it H-A-R-T, which is um like a deer, a deer. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, I know. I, I, that was a thing new to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you're going to try to tell me is there's like multiple ways to spell two. <laughs> And uh, I don't, I can't remember exactly what he said about hearts, but I replaced that with that deer image, and it was really funny. Um, um, I get uh, does and dose. Dose, dose. Um, and I spell check doesn't pop it because it's a word. It's a real yeah. word, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just double the good gift. So, what else do we want to do at Coat and Hammer in the future, other than write a book and do digital classes? <laughs> well, get back to teaching the classes. You know, yeah. um, I would love to do more. Traveling instructors. Yeah, traveling instructors. So, like, stuff. we don't want to teach six classes a week, but wouldn't it be cool to have somebody be able to come? So, to there's this plucky little guild in South Carolina that is uh, struggling along. Some, if y'all'd like to come up for some guest instructor, sure, that as well. But also having the instructors coming. Oh, to I mean, travel to you. Okay, yes. yeah, get like Schwarzer to come up and do a weekend. Sure, or- we have people camp. Yeah, we could build a little 
bunkhouse or something. Yeah. We could have, have come here, have yurts, have whatever. You know, yeah. we, the, op- the, the opportunities to expand what we've been able to do in the past. And, and also give, give um, other people who have knowledge who want a place to share their knowledge uh, to come and share it. So, like some of the folks from Georgia Bushcraft, right? Awesome, like foraging class or something like that, gives them another place to be able to come and teach a thing, so or, you know, tree or. For me, in my head, it's going back to what I did originally with Goat and Hammer through Mass Collective is organize people who have skill sets, but it's now we have a place for them yeah, to that they can't take away. Yeah, and bills. So I, yeah, I want to. Personally, I want to go back to, to doing a little bit of that, finding yeah. other the, people to come and teach other kinds of classes as in well. the meantime, if somebody wanted some pottery or jewelry or a thingabobs, mm-hmm. um, where could they find those? Uh, well, the easiest way is just to go to the Goat and Hammer website, mm-hmm. um, goatandhammer.com. Which is G-O-A-T, letter N, H-A-N-N-E-R, rather than Goat and Hammer which is the Goat Lovers magazine. So just make, just make sure that that's right. So, <laughs> What's the first letter in Hammer? <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't speak British English, that is G-O-A-T-H-A-N-N-E-R. You missed the end. Did I? Yeah, you missed the end. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the normie. She can't spell. There'll be links in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to goatandhammer.com, you'll find um, you'll find ways to get ways to us. get a hold of us. And then my pottery is machineroompottery.com, but you can there's a link on the Goat and Hammer website yeah. so you can get and, to it from there. Well. And when the classes are up and running, they'll be able to find them on the yeah, website. Like if you want to reach out, you want to do a private class on something. And this is the cool thing about like private classes, right? We can do whatever you want. And right? That, to, 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 to a degree. To yeah, a degree. I mean, yeah. you're limited by your own skill set. Yeah. But don't ask us for samurai swords. Just don't ask us for samurai swords. If you've ever forced I've got a friend that is a very successful engineer. Um, up in Greenville and he wanted to forge. I'm like, Hey, I know the people. And he's like, great. I want to make an eight inch chef's knife. I'm like, Nope, Nope. I don't know the people. <laughs> that, that is not going to be your first knife. <laughs> you can make a perfect eight inch chef knife that will behave like a first time. Right? It, it will, it'll be a, a pairing knife that identifies as an eight inch chef knife. Yeah. Some police just showed up. Yeah, we're yeah. having too much fun over here. The dog showed up. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of that's the nice part about it. Yeah, we will go back to doing probably a Sunday class. Oh, sorry, a, a Saturday class as our public classes only, mm-hmm. and then on the Sunday, so it'll be like ten people in the classroom, and that's your public domain class. But you know, we've been talking about um, wanting to continue doing private classes. And Jessica getting her pottery studio up so that she can teach pottery and set up a silversmithing studio so that, or a jewelry studio for doing that. And then, you know, we also, we do lost wax casting. We do sand casting, you know, adding all these additional layers, setting up a designated 
grind a studio. You know, I've always wanted to make my own cast iron 12-inch pan. Right. I mean, theoretically, yes. Yeah. Um, we could definitely do your bronze one. Do your bronze one for reals, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> anybody can cook on iron. <laughs> we got bronze. Uh, it's it's going to cost a little bit more materials. But, uh, but, you know, that's the thing. We now get to do what we want, having had the experience of what we did. Yeah. So. And then lean a little bit heavier into product. Yeah. as well, so that we have multiple income streams. Yeah. Okay. Make sure you've got those multiple income streams, people. Yeah. Uh, and merch is not an income stream. It can be yeah. for, for some, some people. people it is. But it's, it's not reliable. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, make sure. So uh, and, uh, be sure to get your knife perspective uh, <laughs> stickers, hats, and... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah small business is a, it's a bugger. Yeah. It really is. And understanding that just because the wave is big and beautiful right now, which is what happened with us with Goat and Hammer, it's not always going to stay that way. Yeah. And, you know, all the folks who are having the hits with the Instagram showing their knives on it and, you know, getting bashed down for that. And it's like, what the heck? But you can't rely on it. You still got to be doing advertising old school way. Still got to have a good website. Not that ours is the best, but. You know, at least a, pl- a solid placeholder where they can find you. And then on the production side, and this is every maker's bane, I have nearly killed myself repeatedly, but you got to be able to produce consistently. I mean, and if you can't, kind of in the zone. <laughs> if you can't, then you better start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, consistently can be one night a week. Yeah, or one night a month, and everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's got to be every month. There's going to be a knife. Yeah, um, exactly. the, the starts and fits of what I almost drowned myself with early success, and then starts and fits of being able to con- continually pro- or consistently produce yeah. just about killed me. Yeah, yeah. All right, Kyle, um, you've been kind of quiet. Uh, anything uh, you want to add? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm good. Well, I didn't like that. Well, in that case, you want to say good night, Kyle? Uh, oh, you want me to do the outro, huh? Uh, uh, you, I don't have to. I don't have to edit this thing, man. I can talk for another three hours. Uh, yeah, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com, and you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com and you can keep touch with me kyle daly of cage daily knives at cagedailyknives.com on all the social media stuff so. remember to address your uh, complaints and hate mails to kyle daly at <laughs> yeah so thank you guys and uh say good night dan good night dan good night dan good night dan well let's take it to the edge because that's what's expected in this discussion, this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night prospective. Give me hand signals, and now he's taking his headphones off. I don't know if that was keep going or uh, 
Yeah, we're gonna go. We'll keep going. You can yeah, edit yeah, that okay. out later. Well, that was a good, yeah. good stopping point. Yeah, we're going. Turn into a pumpkin. Maybe. It's four twelve. You gotta go get the kids. Yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it running. You guys can keep going. That's that's what I figured. I was just uh, confirming. Do we need Sweet. to plug in the router? It's got forty three percent left. Let's so just plug it in anyway. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then Kyle's just going to leave it running. Okay. Yeah, and uh, we can all. finish up. Yeah. Yeah, I should be back in about thirty minutes or so. Oh, we'll we'll uh, bullshit for at least another thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, do I need to snap snap or can I clap clap? No, you should be good. Okay. Well, this is the like the first I've talked in the entire show, so. Yeah, sorry, dude. Sorry, we totally swapped you out tonight. You know, it, it'll offset for uh, last episode when I wasn't there. <laughs> Alrighty, I'll I'll see you in a few minutes, Mark. All right. <laughs>